Yeah, you can't hold me down. Yeah, how you like me now? Hey everybody, it's Dale Jr. for another episode of the Dale Jr. Download. Uh, with me as always is my co-host Mike Davis. How you doing, Mike? I'm well. How are you? I'm pretty good. We got Leah Vaughn and Matthew Dillner behind What's the up? glass over there running the keyboards and whatnot. What are y'all doing back here? <laughs> yeah, what's going, what's going on back there? There's a lot of weird conversations yeah. that just go on back here. You know, we I um, I'm excited. We got a great guest today, uh, Steve Park. Oh. I mean, I haven't talked to Steve in a really long time, which I'm kind of ashamed to admit. So this is going to be a lot of fun for everybody in the room to see what he's been up to, ask him a lot of cool questions about our past together. Um, we also got a, a new partner this week. Let's and, hear about it. Yeah, Butcher Box. So everything's coming in in the mail these days. Like, That's right. You don't even have to go shop anywhere. You just get delivered <laughs> to the house, and now they'll send you beef, chicken, it, all kinds of things. I actually got an order myself. We'll talk about that later with Butcher Box. Use the promo code Dale Jr. That's D-A-L-E-J-R, no, no space. I hope everybody knows how to spell that by now. Well, I just I worry that they might spell Junior out. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, right. Yeah. And or they may put a space in there, not know any better. So we'll make it clear to use the proper promo code. And uh, we got a lot of other things to talk about. We had a fight on pit road this week. Uh, road trips, all kinds, of, all kinds of different things. I went to UNC, oh. Chapel Hill. So we're going to get into all that during this show. But before we do that, obviously we want to talk about a longtime partner of ours. So Pristine Auction's been a, a partner on this show. How long, Mike? God, it seems I like since last year. Seems like forever. Yeah. And so Pristine Auction is uh, basically an online sports auction site. Uh, you can go on there. But well, they have other things besides sports. You damn. And right we're going to tell you about one of those items later in the show. But yes. <laughs> um, you can bid on and win authentic sports memorabilia from the comfort of your home. PristineAuction.com offers a daily auction where all bids start at one dollar mm-hmm. so everything starts really cheap and that's a great way to snag some pretty awesome deals uh, there's no waiting you hurry right on over check it all out they also in uh, addition to the daily auction have other formats and a, they have a 10 minute auction which is probably my favorite and it's really quick the items will pop up they start at a dollar in 10 minutes they're they gone. gone they gone really really great deals through those 10 minute auctions as well you catch a lot of people sleeping that's right some of these deals are insane, Mike. That's right. The, they guarantee the authenticity of all their items. Everything you purchase comes fully authenticated by the most trusted sources. And I know this because I've signed myself for Pristine. Everything on there, I know that it, it's signed by that person. And we've had no guests, fakes. And we've had guests on here that validated that they signed yeah, for Blaney. them. That's right. right. When you go to other places, there are fakes. There are fakes. Lots yeah. of fakes, man. Jerks. Don't be fake. Right now, uh, there's a signed Jeff Gordon trading card on there from the Rainbow Warrior days. What is, what is the Rainbow Warrior days? Do you have? Is that a yes. sp- precise? Yeah, that's absolutely. When he drove that I know. Car. Is that yeah. a precise time? Yes. Yeah. 90s. Okay. Before he went to the Flames. Precise. That's right. The precise time is the 90s. That's right. <laughs> it's only 18 bucks. I mean, that's pretty damn high. I'd be proud if I was Jeff Gordon. <laughs> that's right. It's, it's, he did it's not a start off at a dollar. This ain't no eight by ten, no. which we no. love. <laughs> well, some of, this is just some a, of you. Some of you. This is just a trading but card. But if you look at the picture, there's a reason it's eighteen dollars. Yeah, go ahead. Look at that hair. Yeah, that I know you love that, that hair. I know you love that hair. You wrote that in there. You wanted me to say it, and I'm not saying it. <laughs> <laughs> they don't like the bangs. There, there, there's a line in here that Dinner put. The hair alone is worth eighteen dollars. Yeah. <laughs> what, Mike? What's the best part about this whole thing? It, it, excluding the hair. Yeah. I mean, listen. It's affordable. 
And to be honest with you, if you spend any time on this website, you can't, you, there ain't enough time to spend it. The thing, you, there's rabbit holes you can go down. I mean, we're talking about sports memorabilia. <laughs> <laughs> yes! <laughs> All right! Oh, Vindication. man. I am vindicated. vindicated. I am vindicated. Do me a favor. I'm you, not cutting that oh, out. Oh, God. I'm not cutting it out, Can I get that? Memorabilia. Can I get that for my text tone? <laughs> yeah. Dang it. Please. Anyways. No, it's affordable. Can There's we get that ton. in the show open next week? All right. Yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah. It'll, never, it'll never get old. This is, this is, I have a feeling we're going to get a lot of mileage out of that. Dang it. Just take your time, Davis. God. All right. So there, there's a lot of things on this website. You can go down all these rabbit holes, and they're all super affordable. Yeah. And I'm telling you, I mean, it's just it's 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 better than any other auction site I've ever been on. You talk about rabbit holes. Later in the show, we'll tell you one of the rabbit holes that Mike ended up down <laughs> and how that paid off. Yes. Um, check out pristineauction.com now. You'll be hooked. It's free to register, free to bid, and you only pay for the items you win. That's Pristine Auction, spelled P-R-I-S-T-I-N-E, auction.com. And when you register, do us a big favor. Please select the Dale Jr. Download podcast from the drop-down menu in the How Did You Hear From Us section. So that lets them know that we sent you there and they will continue to support this podcast. They're great partners. We've learned so much about them and, and appreciate their business. All right. Well, let's get to the guest, man. Let's bring in Steve Park. Let's do it. Local favorite Steve Park led the field. And Steve Park driving the Team United Ceramic Tile cars with his dad, Bob. Steve Park, a native of New York. Made his way to victory lane. With an Earnhardt hat in his hand, Steve Park will drive to victory lane. I brought tears in my eyes. Steve Park turns around to wave that black hat with the number three, two. All right, so we got our guest here, Steve. What's up, man? <laughs> hey, what's going on? Good to see you. <laughs> it's been a long time. <laughs> it's been a long time, but man, you look great. We've been keeping up with everything you've been doing, and yeah. uh, seems like your life is getting even more exciting now you stepped out of the race it's car. It's pretty crazy. I've been pretty busy. <laughs> yeah. What have you been doing? Well, I'll tell you the truth. I've been uh, started my own business about three years ago. Opened up a batteries and bulbs franchise right here in Mooresville. Um, Decided to raise my family and stay in Mooresville, even though I retired in racing. Uh, we we love the lake area. We we love the Mooresville area. So, uh, you know, we plan on raising our family and being here for a while. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. Battery and bulbs. Battery batteries and, and bulbs. bulbs. Yeah, batteries and bulbs. We do cell phone repairs and also keys and key fobs for cars. So really? uh, it's not just batteries and bulbs. It's pretty pretty unique. I'm actually wearing a shirt that says we fix it. Nobody fixes anything anymore. Whatever happened to the TV repairman? Yeah. When, right. I, when, when I grew up, there's a TV repairman, and now you don't even see those guys anymore. So uh, we do fix things and uh, try to keep people going and try to keep those little kids in those little battery-operated cars. <laughs> That's, That's pretty right. awesome. So every kind of battery. I mean, like, you know, because I, I learned something over the weekend. I had never heard of a of a quadruple A battery, by the way. Oh, wow. I, I yeah. Have you? What's no. that? Yeah. So there's a double and a triple. Yep. There's a double and, and triple, and but my computer, my, my computer has this little stylus, and uh, and it quit working. And so I'm like, what the heck? And now, oh, this thing comes apart. And I pull it out in a in a 4A a battery, 4A. smaller <laughs> than a AAA. <laughs> and I'm like, what in yeah. the world is this? Where are you going to find this yeah. thing, right? Yeah. Well, so, you know, I'm I'm right off 150. <laughs> so, I, I, this I is when we knew we needed you. By the way, you yeah. thought you were here to talk about the old days? No, we needed a 4A battery. Yeah, so. well, <laughs> you should have told me. I, I would have brought some in, man. I, that would have been pretty cool. But, uh, 
<laughs> yeah, we have them. Like I said, uh, you know, the long and short of it, we have batteries from hearing aids all the way to track the trailer batteries and everything in between. Mm. And then we have lighting where we could light a headlight in a car to, uh, you know, we could light the parking lot here at JR Motorsports mm. so, <laughs> and everything in between. I bought this illegal laser on the internet. And <laughs> this is fun. Well, let's came, talk about this. This was a long time ago. Oh. It came, it said that you could shoot this laser um, for miles. And so I bought it and it came, I didn't know it was illegal. It comes in this packaging, and it said uh, it had all this kind of Chinese writing on it or Japanese writing mm-hmm. on it, and it said pen, like an ink pen. Uh-huh. Like, that's how it got through all the... Oh. And, uh, which, is, <laughs> I don't know. But it had no batteries. Yeah. had no charger. And I'm like, well, how do I... So, a place like yours would have come in real handy to <laughs> Yeah. yeah you and done anything for any illegal activity, Steve? Uh, I no. Mean, <laughs> I could have. Well, I needed a special battery. It wasn't just going to take any old battery. That's yeah. right. And, and, and uh, the bat- I went to get this battery, and the guy's like, be careful with these. Well, lithium, <laughs> I mean, it, you know, usually when somebody says be careful with this, you know, the yeah. early stages of lithium had some issues like we know about, like those hover-rounds where the kids were right. riding, they were going on fire, and then uh, they were getting recalled and stuff. But um, yeah, yeah. I've had no problems with my laser. I did prop it up on the um, on the railing of my front porch and oh. shined it sort of low level across the sky and then got in my truck and drove down the street to see how far this thing went across the sky. And I got beyond a mile and could what? still yeah. see this what? laser. Yeah, it's crazy. You, you know what? You I don't can't... know if I'm getting myself in real trouble here. But yeah. I could shine this laser I... at the end of my driveway, which is a half a mile, and yeah. it would light up the entire cockpit of the car at the gate. That's amazing. Whoa. Just... Just from an illegal standpoint, just don't shine it up in don't the sky. Don't shine. Yeah, I know. This is something you don't shine at uh, helicopters and airplanes because yeah. it'll hit them. Uh, it'll hit them. Yeah. And uh, uh, I don't know exactly what the law is behind it, but I don't. I don't just, have that la- laser anymore. Uh, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> just as yeah. you tracked it to the end of your driveway, they can track it down to the ground where it's coming from. Yeah. Um, and come get and, me. And big, big trouble. Come so, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I didn't think we were going to get into that. <laughs> uh, hey, you know what? You, what you need to say is you use the laser for your cat because cats yeah, yeah. love that. We we so actually I need to get a cat. Laser. We, uh, all right, well, I <laughs> thought you might have had. Ten I don't or so. have any more. Yeah, I used to have cats. Yeah. Uh, so we, um, man, where do we start? I don't even know where to start. You drove for DEI for two years mm-hmm. in the AC Delco car. Yeah, and I remember that team when Dad drove for it. I remember that team as dad's sort of home family yeah. team with Tony Sr., Rick Bost, eventually Tony Erie Jr. Jeff Green got put in the car, had some reasonable results, but the team was still sort of growing, mm-hmm. understanding how to run a full schedule because dad never ran a full schedule with the team. You get in the car, uh, ran two years, got them to victory lane. You won in Nashville. Yeah. yeah. And you built a lot of the cars. You worked in the shop. This is a period of time <laughs> back then when car, you know, that you worked, you spent a lot of hours during the week, working on the cars, right? Yeah, yeah, all the time. I mean, uh, my background came from building my own race cars and racing up in New England. And, um, you know, I used to work a full-time job. People don't realize that when you're when you're racing not for a living, um, I used to work a full-time job so I could eat and pay my rent, and then I used to race. And, you know, if you made an extra couple hundred bucks, that was great. If you didn't, you know, you still had your job to fall back on. And, yeah. um, you know, so we used to work till five, six o'clock at night, have something to eat, go to the race shop, work till 12, one o'clock in the morning every single night. That was just a routine that we were used to. And when I actually uh, moved down to Charlotte and went to work for your dad, um, I thought it was pretty amazing because 
I mean, I was like, man, it was like my dream job. I can just get up in the morning, go to the shop and work on race cars. And this was awesome. And I think I told your dad, I said, I, you know, I just need enough money to live and, and a bed. Just put a bed in the shop somewhere and give me enough money so I can feed myself and we'll go racing and win a lot of races. And, um, yeah, obviously, I guess like that in me. So, uh, but the point of my story is uh, it was like the first day or second day I was working full time in this dream job. And it's like 4.30 and I'm seeing all the guys going to the bathroom. I'm like, I asked Tony Uri, I said, hey, what's everybody doing? Oh, man, they're washing their hands. They're getting ready to go home. I'm like, man, it's not even five o'clock. And then I'm thinking to myself, if everybody leaves, what am I going right. to do in a shop <laughs> till, till one o'clock in the morning? And a lot of times I stayed because when I originally uh, moved down here, I actually lived in your dad's house in a spare bedroom for a while um, until he, he woke me up at 430 in the morning every morning. And I begged Ty Norris to take me into a spare room in his house <laughs> so your dad wouldn't wake me up so early every morning because uh, I'd work till midnight, uh, one o'clock in the morning. And I can't tell you how many times it'd be nine, ten o'clock at night and your dad would walk in and I'd hear the cowboy boots kind of marching across, uh, <laughs> marching across the floor. And I'd look and he'd be like, Parker, what the hell are you still doing here? I'm like, Dad, we got to race this weekend. I got to, you know, we got to get this car done. You know, everybody left at five o'clock. And I mean, your house is only right there. I could probably throw a rock and hit it. And I'll just walk home when I'm done, done working on the race cars. And he said, well, just... You know, you don't need to work all night long. You worked all day. So that's what I'm used to. So it's more of what you're used to than He's something like, no, different. You don't understand because I'm going to wake you up at 4:30. You need to go. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, t I tell you what, and and the way I was woken up, you know, a lot of people don't know is you used to kick. I don't know if you ever kicked your bed, but he used to kick the the end of my bed where the bed would almost rise up off the ground, slam back down <laughs> the ground, and he'd be like. Park, get up. I'd look at him like it's still dark out. And uh, he'd be like, get up. You're going to sleep your life away. He said, I got all these new deer I want you to come take a look at. So I was like, <laughs> we'd, we'd, we'd have to go down on the farm, 4.30, 5 o'clock in the morning. We'd go down on the farm, check out some of the new livestock he bought. And uh, um, and what are you thinking in your head when you're looking? I know you're probably going, oh, well, that's awesome, right? I mean, you're saying all the right things. What are you thinking? Well, I'm thinking, you know, he's crazy for waking me up so damn early in the morning, first of all. And then... I raced cars. That's all I did. I didn't hunt. I didn't fish. Never really had any interest in hunting or fishing. And, and he was just such a big hunter and fisher and, and, and knew everything you need to know about deer and livestock. And everything that I've learned, I learned from him because my dad, all he did was race. Yep. So I never knew a, a deer could jump uh, like an eight-foot-high fence. And yeah. he showed me that one time. He had one deer that kept jumping over the fence. And we went down there with a big red spotlight and headlights off on the truck, and we're going 60 miles an hour across a grass field and in the dark with a big red spotlight. He's like, keep an eye on that deer right there. Keep an eye on him. And I was watching him, watching him. And that deer reared back, looked like he was sitting down or maybe trying to take a poop or something. And next thing you know, <laughs> next thing you know, he just scaled like this eight-foot-high fence. And I was like, oh, my God, I didn't know a deer could jump that high. Yeah. And he was like, yeah, he's one of, he's one of my prize one. And he, <laughs> you know, we got to get him back you in gotta here. You got to get him back in. Got Carl get Lewis. Back we in. call him Carl Lewis. Maybe yeah. He can just. <laughs> so, I mean, the, the, the stories are endless. And I know I've told the story before about, you know, being with your dad. And he always had, memory. he always had electric fences. Yep. Every fence he had uh, garage door openers on his visor. He had like 15 of them. And you'd come up to a, an electric fence. And we're coming down his dirt road, going back on the farm, and we're 
cruising along probably 50 miles an hour, and he's hitting all these clickers on top of his visor, and that fence ain't budging. And I'm looking at it, and I'm trying to time it. I'm like, oh, we're going 50 miles an hour. I'm like, even if he hit the brakes right now, we're going to hit that fence. All of a sudden, boom, the fence starts opening. I said, there ain't no way this fence is going to get all the way open before we get this truck through it at 50 miles an hour. So at the last second, I was seat belted in and braced up against the floor and, if you know what I mean, tightened up. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, I'm like, yeah, we're not going to make it. And he looked at me as that fence was open. He said, you don't tell a seven-time Winston Cup champion how to drive. <laughs> and we went through that fence and you heard, whoa, whoa. And it knocked both mirrors off, both sides of the truck. <laughs> and I looked at him. He had that half-mustache grin waiting for me to say something because we did make it. The things that didn't make it were the mirrors. Yeah. So, uh, Oh, my gosh. <laughs> pretty pretty funny story. So online, uh, on Twitter, one of the fans were was talking about the red-headed stepchild, which is a race car that we had a lot of success yeah. in. And you said, ask Dale Jr. who built that car. Yeah. I want you. <laughs> Maybe you could tell us. Uh, that's, that's funny because uh, that was one of the first cars that I had built uh, for DE. And uh, uh, the, basically the story went, we went, we went to one of the big tracks. It might have been Charlotte. And, uh, and then we were taking the, we were getting ready to go race at Hickory. And, uh, and we we're taking the same car. And I said, if I know anything, I know how to get a car around a half mile because that's, that was my background. I knew the car we took to, uh, you know, a mile and a half track was not the car we needed to run a, a half mile. And, uh, so we went and we struggled, and I think Randy LaJoy won with Steve Bird. And um, I went to Dale and I said, man, I, if I know anything, I know how to build a car for a short track. I know we're going to Nashville next, and let me, let me have a shot at building a car. So, uh, so we did, and uh, I, think, uh, I think we were using Hudson Pagan cars at the time, and uh, this car was built by Mike Laughlin and his group. And uh, they built the car, and we went and picked it up, and uh, we did the body ourselves on it. And the reason why I got the name the Redhead Stepchild was because anytime somebody worked on the car, now remember the past story, I was there 12 hours a day. So anytime somebody worked on the car and they put a bracket on the car and I thought it was too heavy, I'd, I'd wait for them to go home at 4.30, 5 o'clock, cut the bracket <laughs> off. So everybody got mad at me that was working on the car. So everybody boycotted working on the car. And long story short, I finally got the car done and we went to Nashville to test with Tony Uring Jr. and two beer and a couple of guys and uh uh the car that we tested with for two days um was pretty fast and i kept begging them roll this car out roll this car out so to appease me they rolled the car out and it was like a tenth slower and then one change and it was a tenth faster mm. so tony yuri said man this this car's pretty damn good you know so we took it back and um they'll come in the shop and said every car we had was painted gray uh, the frame was painted gray and then had the blue and red AC Delco and white body on it. He come in the shop and he told the body guys, he said, you paint this car bright red, the, the inside. And uh, so they did. And I said, why do you got to paint it red? He said, because when I'm sitting in my motor home at one of the NASCAR cup races and you're running around in the back and it's got that red frame, I know it's that, <laughs> I, I know, I know it's that car you spent all that money on. Trying I always to wondered why they painted <laughs> that chassis red. I, I, I thought you knew that. No. And, uh, he so wouldn't know why. It was, know it, why. It was pretty funny because, I mean, he, he was so smart. He knew that he probably wouldn't be at the race, the short track race. And when he was sitting in the motorhome, he wanted to be able to see that red chassis. Either run, he, he swore it run in the back, and I swore it win the race. And, you know, thankfully I was right. And it was so funny because, you know, we, he called me in victory lane. And he said, 
how's that redhead stepchild? And I was like, oh, my God, that was the first time, it, you know, it was called a redhead stepchild because I would always complain, ah, no, we're not going to get it done. Nobody's helped me work on it. And he said, because you keep cutting everything off that everybody helps you <laughs> put on the car, you know. So uh, anyway, just, so, a, just so a great that, story. That is the car you won your first race with? Yeah. yeah. Won and, the first and race. And you raced it too. Yeah, we, I won, won in uh, – in ninety eight, ninety nine, I think we won seven races with that, that car. car yeah. I mean, it was everywhere we took it. You remember the stepchild? Yeah, yeah, because we had this, we had the uh, uh, the stepchild, and then the stepmama, right? Yeah, because um, we built another one, or Dale Junior built uh, had another one built from Mike Laughlin, and it was supposed to be the twin of this car. Right. They won a bunch of races with, and they struggled with it. I think we ended up looking at it, measuring it, sending it back to Mike. They redid the clip on it, brought it back, and Dale Jr. ran it like 10 laps and said, all right, we're back. <laughs> so, yeah. that, those cars, the difference in those cars, uh, it had a drop, drop snap. snap. Yeah. And so being to, to everyone listening, the pivot points on the front clip were dropped. Mm -hmm. And uh, that just, for whatever reason, lowered the center of gravity and all the measurements and everything else mm -hmm. uh, were, made the car just turn so much better in the center of the corner. And mm -hmm. um, the car, if a lot of people remember... The uh, the car that we ran at Richmond in '01 was the Gossamer car. Was that '01? I don't remember. I, I think it was. Remember, yeah. That was a drop snout as well, but a Hutchinson Peggy drop snout. But the drop snout. Why would a drop snout work so well at short tracks versus the bigger, you know, one and a half mile tracks? You didn't run a drop snout. Yeah, a, a lot of what it did was just like what you said. It just really helped the front end turn better. And and you know, being a drop snout, like I said, it changed the points in the front end, but it actually lowered the roll center. So it gave, it gave the front more grip. Um, yeah. There was different camera changes, which was better. You didn't want to have a lot of camera change on a big track because you're going 180 miles an hour, and it's a difference between 100 and 180 if you if you if you believe that. But you know the way the car would set in the corner, um, have a low center of gravity, have a low roll center, and have a have a quick camera change would actually help the car rotate through the center of the corner. It makes a ton of sense. And it, it made a ton of sense, and that's what we learned and what we used, you know, like it tracks um, as big as New Hampshire. New Hampshire was you a mile. You did this with, the, with your mods? We did this with our Bush North car. Okay. Um, and we, we worked with, with the modifieds too. So uh, different, different type of suspension, uh, different type of weight. But we learned a lot with the uh, with the Bush North car and racing against guys like you know Kelly Moore and uh, Dick McCabe and yeah. uh, just all these guys that would just you know dominate Andy Santera up in the Bush North. You know they they all had it figured out where they'd get these roll centers, you know either centered up or moved to the left or lowered and and just get the car to react in a yeah. different way. Um, which when when I moved down south, you know the majority of the tracks that we ran were a half mile or smaller. And then when I moved down south, the majority of the tracks were a mile and a half or bigger. So, uh, you know, it just seemed like once we got a chance to go to a short track, I was like, all right, now we're in my wheelhouse. Right. You know, I'm still learning how to run some of these big tracks and aerodynamics and everything else, but uh, the short tracks I felt like I knew pretty well. So you had great success in the Xfinity Series, and I think that that team was poised, whether I drove it or you drove it, to win and do great things uh, going into 1998-99, and I want to credit you to the success we had with that program in those two years. I watched you move into the Cup Series, and we, from my recollection, we built a couple cars, had a couple races. It wasn't really that great. I was so apprehensive about how that Cup team was going to do. 
I know, I knew, and I've learned since how difficult it is to go from the Xfinity Series to the Cup Series, and how tough it is to get good and competitive yeah. with equipment and people in the Cup Series. But y'all did it. Yeah. You went out there in the first year, and you won at Watkins Glen, and then you went to Rockingham in 2001 and won right out of the gate. Uh, talk about that experience, and maybe it, were you apprehensive as that Cup team was getting developed and built, and those cars were getting built? Um, were you nervous about moving into that cup <laughs> cup level and against that competition? Well, you hit the nail on the head because, uh, again, you know, spending the time with your dad, we'd you know, I'd go to a lot of tests uh, that were close, uh, Darlington, Rockingham, uh, Charlotte, and I would just go with him, and he just wanted me to wear a headset, listen to how the driver and the crew chief communicate, because that's you know what you're going to have to learn how to do as as you move from the nationwide to the Cup Series. And uh, it was so funny because I was just running my first year in Nationwide, and and we were running good, and we were coming home from Charlotte Motor Speedway, and I was driving, and your dad was kicked back in the passenger seat, and he, out of the blue, he just says, uh, he said, if you were going to run a cup race, where would you want to run it? I says, Dale, what makes you think I'm ready to run a cup race? Mm. He says, well... What makes you think we're ready to build a cup car? I was like, <laughs> I was like, well, you got a point there, and uh, and is it, it was that uh, factor of realizing, hey, you know what, you grow with us, and we'll grow with you, and and it was kind of that understanding, which it takes a little bit of the pressure off you because Dale's not thinking, okay, well, here's the best of the best of the best, and why are you running fifteenth? You know, he's just. I, I remember sitting down with a couple of sponsors that we had too, and uh, uh, as we started running in the Cup Series, I think with Burger King on a part-time basis, um, he adamantly told some of the CEOs, he said, you know what, he said, you invested your money with me and my team, and we're going to win races. He says, we're not ready to win right now, but when we are, he wanted to build his own cars, he wanted to build his own engines, because he wanted to control everything. You know, not being controlling, but he wanted to, if that engine wasn't good, he wanted to walk in the engine shop and rattle some heads and say, well, why is our power not good? If our cars aren't good, he wanted to go in the fab shop. But once you get that winning combination, well, now you have it, you know, be, behind closed doors. You're not buying it. You, you're, you're, you're hiring the people. You're putting the right people in place. And, and I, th just, I just think it makes the wins that much more enjoyable. Mm. Hey, I got a question. You know, we've had a lot of, a lot of old guests, you had the Yuri's on to start the year, and, and I've really, we've, we found a lot of enjoyment kind of recalling how Dell Jr. even got into that Xfinity Series ride, Bush Series at the time, uh, that, that he took over for you, basically. Now that I'm hearing you, you had a lot of pride and ownership in those cars. So what do you recall of hearing that Dell Jr. was going to take over that ride in 98? It was excitement. I mean, uh, how did you find out? How did you know? Dale probably told me. I mean, not junior, well, but senior. Nice, <laughs> um, because really what had happened was I had really moved into the Cup Series because, you know, Dale just like, you know what, we got a brand new team. We're going to be building cars. You know, we're, you, you're new to this. You're still learning. So let's learn with this new technology in the Cup Series. And then we're going to take Dale Jr. move him into the into the Bush or Nationwide Series. And uh, – that's when I asked the question, you know, do you think I'm ready? He says, well, do you think we're ready? And yeah. the answer on both sides was no. I wasn't ready. To, you know, his team wasn't ready. But we both knew that we could develop that team into a team that was capable of winning races. Um, 
you know, we were just hoping we had the time on our side because, you know, this sport is driven so much by the sponsors that, you know, we didn't have 15 years to develop a race team. You know, we had three. Mm. So we, you know, we had to work hard. And uh, one thing, you know, I've never shied away from is hard work. So uh, the more of a challenge and the harder the work, the the more you, you the more you dig in and, and make things happen. But, you know, when Dale Jr. stepped up, um, I mean, when I first moved here, Dale Jr. was still running street stocks and uh, then late models yeah. and stuff. And uh, I remember Wesley was your was your crew chief. Yeah. And uh, um, he used to come into the, the Deerhead shop and he'd roll one of your cars in and start working on it. And we had, I think, three or four nationwide cars. And we'd have to roll them out just to have room enough to work on them. And, I mean, just the sports changed so much, but those times – I mean, you can remember, Junior, those times we used to have so much fun because we'd work hard, we'd race hard, and then, you know, we didn't travel in airplanes. We traveled in team bands, and and, and Sonny, who's no longer with us, and we miss him dearly, uh, you know, he used to be the truck driver, and he used to drive the team band, and we'd get in the team band, and um, he'd have a he'd have a couple six-packs of Budweiser sitting in there, so we'd all have something to drink on the way back to the hotel and stuff, so... It's it's just different. Yeah. It was more like you know we all we all had each other's back. Yeah, and uh, and you know nothing is more rewarding than to win races. Not only from a driver's standpoint, but you know the Yuris and and all the guys that were that were building the race cars and doing the bodies. And I remember you know when we moved into the new shop, it was the it was the nationwide car uh, or the Bush car, and then uh, Ron Hornaday's truck team. That yeah, truck oh, team. that's right. Wow, so yeah. we. You know, if you look at that shop today in comparison, you think well, we ran we ran a truck truck team and a nationwide team out of that shop. Yeah, so, yeah. Shops uh, have changed. Yeah, sure. <laughs> sure have. So uh, let's think about uh, let's talk about Darlington. The yeah. crash at Darlington. Mm-hmm. How difficult um, was that on you? What do you remember from that experience? And and how difficult was that on you to to work through, to rehab through, and to get back to the racetrack? Um, it, it was a lot. I mean, uh, a lot of um, not so much rehabbing, but a lot of emotional because what happens is in our sport, um, it's the first time that I've ever felt like, you know, it's tainted property or injured property where, you know, when you're at the pinnacle, when you're at, you know, the Winston Cup or the Sprint Cup level, um, it's, it's hard to maintain your job without performance. Um, but then it's hard to also try to find another job when you've been injured, especially mm. with a head injury, because people think, oh, you know, he'll never be right again. So really what I went through, the hardest thing I went through was um, a, the, the loss of your dad. Mm. You know, that was something big that we all had to go through. I mean, not only from a driver's standpoint, but from a fan's standpoint and a son's standpoint. Um, you know, on top of coming back from an injury, and, you know, at that time I was back, um, then things just kind of seemed like they fell apart. Like we just didn't have that continuity within the team. We, we, you know, we were just, just things just didn't seem right. I mean, Paul Andrews was one of the one of the godsends that came to the team that really propelled us to a team that was capable of winning races quite a bit. And you know, and after Dale's passing, it just seemed like um, you know it took a lot of it took a lot of wind out of a, a lot of people's sails and. Uh, I think when you know when we struggled and and uh, and the team decided to go a different way and I think they moved Jeff Green back to the Penzoil car and then I went to the AOL car for Richard Childress, um, you know it just seemed like at the end of that tenure, 
you don't you don't get those offers anymore. You know, yeah. you don't get you know, it, for lack of a better term, if if you want to run a twentieth place team, you're going to run twentieth. If you're going to try to win races, you got to you got to race for a team that's capable of winning races or trying to win races. Um, and those opportunities wouldn't wouldn't come my way anymore. And the reason why they wouldn't come my way anymore is because I was hurt. Um, I was recovered, but people don't look at it in that aspect of it. So for me, the only challenges I ever had is is how I challenged myself. So to me, after getting hurt, spending a few years, you know, bouncing around cup teams and then going to Brendan Gollum's truck team, uh, which gave me great opportunity, um, until I won that race in California. Mm. That's when I was back. It was like three years later, you know. It was like, you know nobody's talking about when are you going to win again? When are you going to win again? When are you going to win again? Since you've been hurt, when are you going to win? Just winning that race was, for me, helped put everybody else to bed. Like, the questions from the media weren't being, when are you going to win again? They were like, Steve Park's back. You know, he's back in victory lane. And 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 that's that's what I worked all that time for. N- never mind rehabbing because, you know, I mean, I was rehabbed and back in a car in probably uh, less than a year. But, you know, results weren't there. So then all of a sudden, you know, you start searching for results. But finally just getting back to victory lane, even though it was in the truck series, took that label of when are you going to win next to, to okay, let's let's go on to something different. Yeah. So uh, I remember that day in Darlington and uh, – went to the hospital as soon as they said you were going to the hospital. I met you there. Yeah. They wheeled you in. Um, it was frightening. and uh, But I also remember the first time we got back on the racetrack. Uh, we had a private test over at Charlotte Motor Speedway, and then they took me and you and Michael Waltrip, and they put us all on the racetrack together. Yeah. And it was basically so you could be out there not only just by yourself, but also around cars, cars yeah. and get a real good sense of, of uh, how you felt. And and so you you do you remember that yeah. test? Yeah. yeah. About how long after the uh, accident was that? It must have. It felt like maybe four to six months, maybe. Yeah, I was gonna say you know six seven months. Um, okay. I remember with Doctor Petty um, and the Charlotte Motor Speedway, I would spend almost three days a week running the Legends car out on the back track behind really? the racetrack. Yeah. And Doctor Petty was there, and uh, a lot of people from DEI. And again, it was just getting reacclimated to uh, being behind the wheel of a car, where I didn't feel like I had to reacclimate myself, but I think I had to reacclimate everybody else's thought processes around me. Sure. And yeah. you know, when, when times are good, and and then we went to Caraway with a cup car, and um, and times are good, you know, Paul Andrews is, is the first guy that would say. I got no problem going to the track with this guy, mm. you know? I mean, and like I said, me and Paul won a lot of races, and to have him say that, it was a breath of fresh air. I was like, well, at least my, at least my crew chief still believes in me. Yeah. Um, so when you're doing the, the, the backtrack legend stuff, mm-hmm. uh, were you healed by then? And was Dr. Mm-hmm. Petty, were you looking to uh, earn his clearance? Or had you already done that? Or- yeah, uh, well, no, we were trying to earn clearance to okay. get back into NASCAR, and it wasn't for Dr. Petty. It was for NASCAR, but Dr. Petty, as as Junior knows, uh, is highly regarded uh, with NASCAR, so he wanted to be there. Uh, he supervised all my recovery right up until I got into a race car, um, you know, got into the Legends car, and he wanted to be there, and he wanted to witness what was going on before he gave his clearance on it. And, uh, you know, it wasn't long at all. Um, 
you know, we got clearance to go back racing again. And, um, and I, and I kept going to the, I kept going to the legend car track as much as they'd let me because I wanted to make sure my skills were fine tuned before I got back in that race car again. Mm -hmm. and, and then like junior said, we went and did that test at Charlotte. And I think it was really just to prove to other people. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think it was proved to other drivers. Cause I, I'm sure they were asking Michael and Junior, well, what do you think about him? Do you think he's okay? <laughs> yeah. You know, and uh, I, th I, I didn't sense any apprehensiveness from you personally. Yeah. It was really, I think, for everyone else to see and watch you and just go, all right, yeah, this, this, this is going to be fine. Yourself yeah. included. Yeah. yeah. You I, wanted to yeah. see it for yourself. Yeah. Which, okay. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I'm, in, I'm in my car. I'm fine. You know, I, I feel like that, you know, if Steve thinks he's ready, let's go. And uh, but I think you know there was a lot of people in the industry and in inside the office and so forth uh, from the top down that just wanted to make sure that Steve felt good yeah. and that they felt good about him being out there. But that was an interesting experience to go through, and certainly paid off for me later in my life when mm -hmm. I went through the same similar situation. How re how rewarding was that win at the uh, at Daytona in the modified? Uh, that's. That's funny people you talk, say that. People talk about that, and there's a lot of mixed emotions about yeah. that. Because, yeah. But that was sort of the theme of the night, was moving people out of the way. Yeah. And we was, got a great sound bite from what, Stefanik? Wasn't it yeah, Mike Stefanik? Mike Stefanik. We got a great, great post-race sound bite that we have, <laughs> yeah. to appreciate, we have to thank you for. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> that had, I, I, I just remember the, the happiness on your face yeah. after that race. Um, you were back in your yeah, – back to your roots. Roots, yeah. You know, and, and – I think that it was just sort of a great bookend for you on your, on your career. Do you see it that way? Yeah, you're you're exactly right. The only reason why I did it was because I grew up racing modifieds, and when they announced they were going to have a modified race at Daytona, and I was partly retired at the time, I said, "Man, you know, I'm gonna I gotta find myself a ride because in the record books, like you were saying, you know, when when you go and look or your kids go and look in the record books, and it has my modified career, which was absolutely stellar got me to the point to come to work for DEI um and then they have a modified race at Daytona I wanted to be on the I wanted to be on the book my goal was to be in the top 10 you say oh modified said Daytona because they used to come they used to come here with my dad when they ran the road course the big track yeah. on the, and they used to run the big track and put the fenders on them and build those cars and stuff so I was never in the record books for running the modified at Daytona or winning at Daytona, I'm like, Junior, you know, I don't know how many wins you got at Daytona. 18, I think. 18, yeah. yeah. Well, I got one. There you go. I, I, don't, need, I don't need to tell people it's in a modified car. <laughs> I say, you ever win at Daytona? I say, oh, yeah, I won there once. <laughs> so. It don't matter what races it is. I count them all. No. I, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Non-points race, it doesn't matter. Uh -huh. Daytona's a win. And I was sitting uh, with your dad in the uh, grandstands for that one, and knowing yeah. your family for as long as I did, I've never seen your dad so happy. Uh, yeah. Before that, than when you won that race. Yeah, and like I said, it was it was it was pretty neat because I hadn't been in a modified in so long, and you know my 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 son was there. He was like three, so he you know he'll probably never remember. But we got his picture anyway, and my dad was there, and it's kind of like we went there to have fun. You know, we went there to have fun. Went there to go back modified racing, and um, we got I don't know we got a and a tangle up in the heat race running third, and we had to start in the back. Um, and we just methodically worked our way to the front and that track in the short amount of time that we were there, you just knew the inside was the only place that you wanted to be. So I remember when I was racing, 
I'd actually count what position I was in. If I was an even number or an odd number. And I was always trying to put myself in that odd numbered position, even if I had to drop back a spot. Mm -hmm. Because I knew if a caution came out, I'd gain five, just being on the inside. So uh, my whole plan almost got ruined because we got down to the end of the race. I was running third, and, uh, and a caution came out. No, I was running fourth. Mm. And... Knew I didn't want to be on the outside, and, I, and I, I muscled my way to third, and I got the third, and was pushing, you know, pushing for the for the lead for the win, and uh, caution came out. And I said, "Oh man, this is going to ruin it because now I'm second. Now I got to start on the outside." So when we start on the outside, we're able to get our way back down to the bottom again, and then, uh, as we know, we had a another another restart towards the end, and uh, I actually, believe it or not, I actually got pushed into Mike. Mike yeah. wasn't real happy. We had spoke. Probably about uh, three or four days later, I gave him some time to cool off. And uh, he said, we had looked at tape, and he said, you know, we saw your front tires locked up and you being pushed. Yeah. There's not much you can do. And all I thought was it ruined my chance to win the race because I wanted to pass Mike on the inside because I was better getting up off the corner, drag race down the back stretch side by side in three and four and come off a four for the win. And, you know, obviously who's ever better is going to win the race. Definitely didn't want to spin him out, wanted to race him, and, uh, you know, it just turned out being a little bit different. But the best thing that came out of it is uh, Mike's never been on Jay Leno, but that, now, <laughs> now, 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 yeah. Right. You know, That's Jay, funny. Jay, I, I've been with Jay a few times, and uh, uh, we were laughing because it was it was kind of funny, and Mike was definitely mad. I mean, yeah. that was true passion. Great oh, man. sound bite. Great sound bite. True passion. Uh, I've raced with him a lot up in New England. And when we got a chance to talk, he said, Steve, I've been racing with you for, you know, 15, 20 years. He said, I just, I've never raced like that with you, and you've never raced me like that. And I said, well, I, I really thought my race was ruined being pushed because I was trying to get a move on the inside and got pushed to the outside and ended up being good because when I ran into the back of him and he spun, I had a room to go by on the outside. Yeah. So you haven't raced uh, in a few years. How are you replacing that? <laughs> that, I mean, you have to miss it like all drivers do. And how are you replacing that? You know that comp competitiveness. And and you said you have a son. Is he is he interested in racing? He's, doing any racing? Or he was early on, and I pushed him pretty hard. You know, when he was like four. You know, I got him like this yeah. Borelli European go kart, and we'd go to GoPro, and he'd run, and um, and he did good. He you know he was he was really competitive, good times. Uh, had him out in a couple different. Uh, uh, kid cart races for kids. I think he was a year or two too young, and I don't know. I fibbed about his age and got him up in a class, and um, I tell him, you know, he'd he'd qualify like fifth, and they'd do a standing start, and I told him they'd say, you know, standing start, you can't leave till the green flag comes out. So I told my four year old, I said, as soon as you see the flag man move his elbow. You just pull out, drive around everybody, and go in the lead. So sure, <laughs> sure enough, everybody's sitting still, and he pulled out, drove around everybody, and. Uh, he had about a 10-cart lead and ended up losing the lead to some uh, some champion kids from Ohio or something. And um, and then it was about a year after that, he just lost interest. I think he got to the age where he found team sports, yeah. mm -hmm. where uh, he wanted to be with his buddies, and he wanted yeah. to play baseball and basketball, and he wanted to talk dirt on the sidelines. Are you one of the dads that goes to the games and talks dirt to the other dads? Yeah, well, I don't talk <laughs> – I talk to – I try not to, but I, I really—it's hard, man. <laughs> because I'm so competitive that 
Um, I'm usually I'm usually on my son's case, and uh, I usually got to try to remember to chill out a little bit because, you know, he's only nine years old right now, and uh, he just made a traveling baseball team, so we're getting ready to travel around for baseball. So that's keeping you busy. That's keeping me busy. My new business is keeping me busy. Um, so, so you, so I'm hearing that you don't necessarily have that. Uh, if if you're 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 channeling the competitiveness in other ways, but yeah, you, but, it's, but you've managed to. Life after racing is okay for you. You're 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 fine. Yeah, I mean, you know, Junior. Look at him. I mean, he's you know, uh, uh, unparalleled race car driver. And uh, you know, for me, I've raced cars since I was 15 years old. I ran go karts since I was like 10 or 12 years old. And you know, look, Dale Junior knows the grind of the sport. You know, it's a young man's sport. It's 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 tough. You know, I'm 51 years old, and it's tough as you get older to be away from home all the time, live in a motor home, you know, all the sponsor obligations that you have. You got to fly here, fly there. Um, and now I'm really enjoying being a dad. Yeah. Um, and, you know, as you can attest, it's just, it's just amazing that, you know, you can, you can create this human being and watch it grow. And then it's amazing how sometimes you, like I'll, I'll see my wife and my son, and then all of a sudden he'll do something where I just, see me in them and it's just an amazing feeling to know that you know you've you've created this thing and and you're going to watch him grow yeah, and, buddy. and flourish and uh and you know you want to wish him the best and people say oh you want the race i'm like i want him to do anything he wants to do that he enjoys yeah i mean you know i raced my dad raced you know it doesn't mean he has to be a racer if he wants to be i'm going to support him doing that if he wants to be um a garbage man, I'm probably going to let his mom support him. <laughs> <laughs> but if he wants to do anything uh, that'll, that'll you know, put a smile on his face, he can, hopefully yeah. he can do whatever he can. I, I'd love to get your reaction to this. We did a poll for favorite Steve Park moments oh. uh, for fans. Leah, you want to jump in here and tell us how that ended yeah. up? Yeah, so um, we put a poll out there that had uh, four moments on it. We went with your first Watkins Glen uh, Cup win. Which was so cool. I mean, like, yeah. I think I can still see that. Oh. Yeah. You standing up there, I mean, the excitement. I mean, like, you winning your first cup race. Yeah. You're just in New York. In New York. It was amazing. And, and, and you don't think about that stuff when you're behind the wheel of the car. And um, so I tell people all the time I mean, you know, watching Jeff Gordon and Tony Stewart and, and Mark Martin and, and back in the day, Terry Labonte, the Iceman, he was, he was hard to beat on a road course at times. And, you know, to, you know, to put yourself in a position where you can win, and when you do win, you know, what happens is you look back on it after victory lane, after inspection, after you're home for a little bit, and you say, man, I just beat all these guys, you know? I mean, I remember as a kid, I just wanted a shot. I just wanted to have an opportunity to get there one time, try to stay there, try to, you know, chart my own course and, and, and try to win, because if you do win, you beat all these people that – you know, were heroes of mine growing up, you know, back in the Richard Petty days. And then in the era that I drove when you got Tony Stewart and uh, Jeff Gordon and Mark Martin and Terry Labonte and, you know, all these different guys, just the elation came from realizing that you just became the best of the best. But you're only good like that for three days, I think, because well, come Thursday, you're at the next track and now you're, you're, you're back, back to scrapping, zero. back to zero True. scrapping. But, but it also was a come up for DEI. I mean, yeah. I mean, like that was the new uh, DEI's here. I mean, like, like this legit. Mm -hmm. I remember, you know, just I was just a fan, and I just were like, okay, so DEI, 
uh, they're going to be really good at this cup stuff too. So that I, Leah, by the way, I'm sorry I didn't no, mean to interrupt. Fine. We were doing a poll, but we, we like you throw out a memory, and all of a sudden it's like, yeah, this is right. that was a good time. And right. what was the poll? So, so yeah, here so we go. We, we got the, that moment. What else? Yep, and then um, the 05 truck win, which we talked about, and we talked about the uh, modified win at Daytona, and then the one that got the most votes, 76 percent. Seventy six percent. Seventy six percent. Two thousand one. Rockingham. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, yeah. Hard to beat that one. That was something. Yeah. Hard. Hard to beat. Uh, man, just uh, you know, victories like that um, really go down in history because it goes down in my history. Like I said, I never do nothing for for anybody else. I do it for myself because I'm the hardest critic of myself. Um, and, you know, at that point, I mean, we all know what we had gone through the week beforehand. And, you know, we had sat in the conference room trying to decide, okay, what are we going to do? Are we, we going to sit out the next race or two? Or There was a real conversation um, about that. Real conversation about it. And, and I remember in the, in the boardroom, you know, Dale always sat at the end of, the, uh, at the end of the, this big, long, beautiful table. And as we're all sitting there, you know, in tears and trying to figure out what, what you know, what the hell we're going to do, what's the right thing to do to honor Dale. And, um, and I remember to this day, I remember when Neil Bonnet died and, and your dad saying that he's going to go out in the next race and kick, kick everybody's bleep and in honor of uh, Neil Bonnet. And, you know, so, I mean, that, that made the answer kind of, easy to decide on what we were going to do. We're like, you know, if Dale was sitting in his spot at the end of the table, he'd say, you go out there and you win that damn race and you win it for me, mm. just like he did for Neil. So, uh, wow. and so anyway, we, st we started that weekend and, uh, you know, we had to walk into the track with our heads kind of held high and, you know, we, ha we had a job to do and stuff that we had to do. And then um, I remember early on in the race, uh, Junior crashed in turn four. Like first you know, or second lap, right? Um, yeah. yeah, it was it was, it was pretty early, early yeah. and he and he and he went in pretty hard. He went in pretty straight, and you know it was a flashback from the week before. And I think all of us just wanted to know that he was okay. And uh, when we found out he was okay, I mean, we just uh, um, our, uh, another memory in my mind was that, you know Jeff Gordon was pretty dominant that day, and we had chased him down. And the guy who taught me how to race Rockingham was, was Dale Sr. And he, my first year running Rockingham, I'd go out behind him, and he'd say, you follow me, I'm going to show you how to get around here. And I'd follow him, and we'd get up to speed. We'd go down the backstretch. We'd get three-quarters of the way down the backstretch. I'm a car link behind him. All of a sudden, he gets up off the gas, and I almost ran smack into the back of him. <laughs> and next thing you know, boom, there he goes, and now he's two car links ahead of me. So I'm catching him. I run right up on him again into in, into turn one, and almost run into the back of him because he lifted so early. And all of a sudden, boom! He's three cars ahead of me, and that's when I learned. I said, "Man, you know, you got to lift early. You got to let the car roll through the corner. To, you know, don't, don't wear the tires out because everybody else be wearing their stuff out." And and we and, and after that experience, I learned how to drive the track different. He said, "You'll see the back bumper of somebody go away." Go go off into the sunset. He said, give it 20 laps. You'll be seeing them coming back the other way again. <laughs> and sure enough, that's what they did. And um, the memory I was going to say was coming off of turn two, I'd pass Jeff Gordon for the lead. And Jeff Gordon being a, a guy, you know, when I used to run up in New England, he was the kid that came in and competed against Dale Earnhardt. And uh, when I passed him and there was no other cars in front of me, 
I was like, I just passed Jeff Gordon for the damn lead here at Rockingham. I was so I was so damn proud of myself. And then uh and then all of a sudden it's like, uh oh, here comes Bobby Lavani. You know, and we were on old tires and we barely had enough gas to make it and you know, everything just worked out to go on and win a race and uh you know, that, that last lap I had to do everything I could to to fight off uh Bobby Lavani. I don't know if I said Terry, but Bobby Lavani in true Dale Earnhardt fashion. I mean, you know, he had you know, he had taught me how to run the fast lane and 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 to run up by the wall. And, and, and as I saw Bobby starting to catch me a little bit, my spotter was giving me intervals, and I was trying to calculate in my mind, you know, how many laps are going to be left. And by the time he gets there, and uh, you know, we we're just fortunate enough to have enough fuel to win a race. I would assume you would have left the track already. Do you? I can't even remember what really? I was doing, but yeah. um, I will say this. Um, if 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 Steve doesn't win that race, uh, I don't know that I don't know how DEI would have uh, done going forward. Mm. Uh, I don't know that we can quantify how much that one win, that one single win. If you look at all the companies in the sport and the history of NASCAR, and you think about well, with this company, what's the biggest win for that company? What's the one win that, that mattered the most? I think you would have to put that one near, if not at the top of the list for DEI, because had that not happened, I don't think that we would have had any of the success that we had going forward. Because we were, as Steve said, I mean, we were really unsure on how to proceed. Yeah. And if we go to that race, I crash on the first lap. I don't know where Michael ran. Uh, and if Steve doesn't win, what's the morale? What's that, that, that all carries over. And so for him to go out there and win that race gave everybody a bit of some relief. And, and the, the thing about it, when you lose somebody like that, the world keeps going. Rockingham was coming Sunday, whether we were going to be there or not. Hmm. And so we had to make that decision to go. He goes up there and wins, wins the race. <laughs> and it just kind of kept pushing that boat along, you know, kept pushing the barge down the stream and and we we really really needed that, and so that's what I remember from that day. I remember us wearing the three hats, sitting on. I remember, you know, I had a bad day, but I, the one thing that I enjoyed the most is that me and you and Michael sat on the wall right before the start of the race on pit yeah. road, and the we're not br- blood brothers, mm-hmm. but in that moment, I felt. I felt like we were all as family as family could be. Yeah. And we were there and we were together and we were going to, we didn't, we had nothing but each other. Yeah. And y'all were laughing. There's a picture. I remember seeing it and it's, you guys are smiling and laughing. It looks like Michael's sort of cutting up. I don't know what y'all were talking about. Probably something it, Michael said. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it looked like that you guys were healing in that very moment. Yeah. And that picture really encapsulates that. Yeah. Well, I think like Junior said, said it the best. I mean, you know, when when you when you're in that situation, you got to realize, you know, we're we're DEI, we're a high profile team. At that point, we weren't letting any outsiders in, so all we had was really ourselves mm-hmm. um, to to grieve, to mourn, uh, to to think of how we were going to make ourselves and our team and and our people better. We had a lot of employees, and the and, and the greatest thing I ever heard was that. Um, somebody said this is the beginning of the healing, not only for the race team, but for the race fans. Yeah. 
Yeah. You know, we, we might have had 100 employees, um, but there's 100,000 race fans. And that one moment was the beginning of the healing of DEI because at first when we, you know, we sat at that table, uh, the high level, you know, people and brass and drivers, and we just didn't know what we were going to do. We didn't know how to react. We didn't know what, you know, what we needed to do. So uh, winning that race was definitely the beginning of the healing uh, where we learned as a team that we can still move forward and we can still uh, continue to grow and win races, uh, even in the absence of our of our leader. Well, there were three significant moments coming from a race fan's perspective at that time. There were three moments, and you guys at this table delivered two of them. That one, and then when Dale goes back to Daytona and wins mm-hmm. in that summer race, Kevin Harvick in Atlanta was the other one of a yeah. healing moment where that team was able to you know get their get their moment. Yeah. And you think back and how the cards fell during that 2001 season. It's story. I, they're, they're the best movie screenwriters that ever existed couldn't have written that script for 2001 and how you guys were able to deliver healing moments that yeah. year. Yeah, just motivation, too. I mean, uh, you know, I, I think the, the not the, you know, no quit attitude that I think we all had, including Richard Childress's team, you yeah. know, with Kevin Harvick. I mean, uh, you know, we had, we had no options to fail. You know, I mean, we had to work as hard as we could to try to succeed because we had, we had, we we had seen the the deepest darkest valley that we had to climb ourselves out of. And uh, you know, the the personality of all of us at DEI at that time um, was that you know you know we're in the deepest darkest valley, but we're, we're going to get back to the top of the mountain again. That's right, man. Well, Steve. I appreciate you coming today. This is some great conversation. Yeah, I've enjoyed it. Me and you have to do a better job of staying in touch. Yeah. So maybe this conversation isn't so great next time. (laughs) (laughs) I've I've been waiting for you to retire. (laughs) Because you you never arrived. I said I was going to retire, but Uh, I didn't. uh. But, uh, man, take care of yourself. We're going to have you back. We'll talk to you again. Uh, Thanks for coming. Hey, man, appreciate you having me. Love to be here and love all the race fans and uh, love what NASCAR is Battery and Bulbs. Battery and Bulbs. Where's Battery and Bulbs at? It's Battery and Bulbs is uh, right on 150 on uh, 464 River Highway. There you go, buddy. Mooresville, North Carolina. I'm there every day. Steve is there every day. Stop in. Mike, we got new friends. (laughs) That's good. I love having, hey, I love love new friends. (laughs) Uh, ButcherBox, we got a new partner for the show, ButcherBox. And ButcherBox is exactly what it sounds like. It's a box of meat, and it comes to your house. They deliver healthy, 100% grass-fed and grass-finished beef. I don't even know what that means, grass-finished. we got to look that up. Grass-fed. I've heard of grass-fed, but not grass-finished. Uh, what? Grass on them? Yes. I don't know. Well, <laughs> considering what we're talking about, I don't know what I want. I don't know if I want to know what the finish well, is. Here. Well, we got to figure that out. Grass finish. <laughs> they have free range organic chicken and heritage breed pork. Okay. Right? Heritage breed pork is before they started breeding them to be more lean. That's the good stuff. There you go. The incredible <laughs> quality of Butcher Box meats starts with the commitment to raising animals humanely mm. and free of antibiotics and hormones. There's no fatty fillers in this meat. To think of Butcher Box is to think of your neighborhood butcher, delivered right to your door on dry ice. Each box comes with at least 8 to 11 pounds of meat, which is enough for 24 individual-sized meals. Or just me. Okay. <laughs> the reason why I love new friends is because I get to try this stuff out, Mike. I know you do. All right? So, it's, it's a, you had a Butcher Box. Yeah, and I have my packing slip right here. Okay. All right? 
I, I ended up uh, getting some chicken breasts, ground beef, chuck roast, ribeye steak, pork chops, bacon. What? Bacon. Yeah. Oh, yeah. All of this in one box. Oh, yeah. And it was, uh, I tried the uh, ribeye steak. Two of them came in the box, and I, I already ate one of those, and they were great. Me and uh, Gus, my dog, uh, both <laughs> tried out that steak, and it was good. Gus is eating a ribeye? Yeah. I want to be, be your dog. I want well, to be a Dale yeah. Jr. dog. Gus is living the good <laughs> life, boy. I, I, I cooked Damn. it. I, cook, I didn't season it so that Gus could try some because I didn't want to put any salt and stuff on it and then feed it to him. The convenience. I mean, this is where everything's going these days. Everything's getting shipped to your house. You don't have to go shopping anymore. Uh, the convenience of this is just incredible, and it's qual- high-quality stuff. Mm. It says it comes on dry ice. It was all frozen. The dry ice was not hard to handle. I didn't even, I, I mean, really, I just opened the box, take out the packaging, and there's the meat. Boom. And uh, put it all in my freezer, uh, thawed what I wanted to eat that day. So it, just the convenience of it. It's very simple. It's great, good-tasting food. This month, ButcherBox is offering finely ground beef that's clean and delicious and is taken from the most flavorful sections of the animal. The beef consists of trimmings from the sirloin and chuck, which makes it so versatile. It cooks fast. So it's perfect for quick weeknight dinners. Mm. Right now, this is really, really impressive. Right now, new members will get two pounds of this delicious ground beef for free in every box for the life of your subscription. What? That is ridiculous. That is insane. How are they making money? I don't know. This was ButcherBox's <laughs> most popular offer last year, and they're bringing it back for a limited time only. But, man, dude, that's two pounds of meat. A lot of meat. Every box for for as long as you're a subscriber, yeah. um, you got to go get that for twenty dollars off your first box and two pounds of free ground beef in every box for the life of your subscription. Go to butcherbox.com/dellejr or enter promo code dellejr. Remember now for for twenty dollars off your first box and two pounds of free ground beef in every box for the life of your subscription. I mean, I I got to repeat that twenty. Dollars off the first box, and you're going to get the two pounds of ground beef for the life of your subscription in every box. Go to butcherbox.com slash Dale Jr. or enter promo code Dale Jr. All right, Mike. So uh, we had a uh, another race this weekend, obviously at Phoenix, still doing the West Coast Swing. How you feel about the season so far? I mean, it's been pretty interesting. It's been interesting. I really enjoyed Phoenix. I was able to watch the back half of it. I had a little bit of a lawnmower issue in the front end. I was listening to the MRN deal. We won't get into the lawnmower issue, but I'm going to tell you something. This is, first and foremost, when it comes to Phoenix, or hold on, ISM Speedway. Yeah, is right. Is that what we're calling it I now? Can't, I, I hate when they change the names of these tracks. The restarts at, at, at ISM Speedway Phoenix alone make that very interesting oh, yeah. for me. I, I mean, I can't believe how they scatter out, and I still am blown away how they don't wad them up. All of them. All of them wad them up, uh, you know, just going into two. Um, I, I love that you can take it off the exit ramp and then come back on yeah. on a restart. So I love Phoenix for that reason. I love Phoenix for a lot of reasons, but uh, I thought that the race was very interesting. I, I liked the strategy involved. What did you think of it? Well, I uh... – I, I'm with you. I didn't anticipate the movement of the start-finish line to where they have it today as having that great of an impact. Yeah. I really underestimated how much that would change the look of that race and the restarts, and I think they have to be loving what, they're, what they've done. They spent a ton of money and put a ton of money in this racetrack to try to make the experience better for the fans, and I think that they checked all, checked all the boxes, so great job uh, for those guys over in Phoenix. I'm just thinking about, you know, it's early in the season, but still looking at teams that are performing, teams that maybe aren't performing that well. Jimmy Johnson had a pretty decent run, had some good strong points during the day. That's got to make him feel good. 
he's got a new crew chief. I've been in that situation where you get a new crew chief and you just got to get that good run in there, man. You just want to have at least one good run to feel good about. And it gives you so much confidence in each other and really makes the conversation between you and your crew chief going forward a lot easier. Matt Benedetto has been way stronger than I anticipated. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, you just assume, you know, a lot of the – I know that as a driver, when a guy moves to another car – you kind of are apprehensive about the performance changing because a lot of times it depends on the car. Yeah. You know, and so I didn't know exactly. I know wherever Matt goes, he makes things better. But how much better could he make that 95 car? And they've been fast. And I think the relationship that they have now with Gibbs must be helping a tremendous amount as well to give them new resources that they've never had before. But Matt also, he does make cars better every time he goes to a new team. A uh, guy must have some real talent. Dude. I mean, we've, you know, that's, that's a given. Everywhere he goes, and it reminds me a lot of Kurt Busch, everywhere Kurt Busch goes, cars get better. Yeah. Kurt Busch has taken that one car and moved it way up the ladder in performance, getting a lot more out of that team. And uh, still waiting on Corey LaJoy. I wanted to see how Corey was going to do when he got in that 32 car. Matt was able to elevate that team's progress. If you look back of what, what that team's done over the past five or ten years, Matt, Matt had a big uh, influence on improving that team's performance. Uh, still waiting on Corey. To continue that progression, improve that team even more. Everything that Corey's ever got in has gotten better. Mm. He's 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 a hands-on guy, likes to work on his own cars. I don't know if that's the case today with the 32 team. He could tell us that, but I'm expecting. Uh, I'm watching Corey as the year goes on to see him. I'm expecting him to fire off and have a great strong run as well. Um, the Xfinity race, a lot of fun to watch from a personal standpoint because we had. Ryan Truex out there racing in his first race this year for us. He will not race again for several months, and he had a top two finish. I know. Uh, matched his best career finish in the Xfinity Series, and I know that he's not um, in a great place because he's not racing all the time. You know, he's in a very difficult position personally because he doesn't get to race again for several more months, as I mentioned. So it was really important to go out there and have a great day. Uh, if he had a bad day or something out of his, you know, out of his control gave him a poor finish, that would be so tough. He's got to sleep on that for a couple months. Right, yeah. Who great. wants to do that? Yeah, you're on the same page. So, yeah. so he had a great day. He's happy. He's proud. He gets to at least ride that momentum as hard, hard as he can into the next race. Uh, maybe that will stir up some conversations with some new partners or current partners to, yeah. to get more involved in his career going forward. Noah Gragson had some good speed sort of watching that team gel and come together and communication getting better and stronger between him and Dave, the crew chief. Uh, so that was nice. Michael Annette, I mean, what a year this guy's having. <laughs> He's out of the gate strong. I'm, I'm sort of sitting there over the last couple of weeks, keep my mouth shut, sort of waiting on everyone else to start talking about this. Um, I know that a lot of people might say at Vegas he kind of, he kind of lucked into a, a top five finish because of the attrition and trouble at the end of the race, but he was running great and in position to do that. Mm -hmm. That's what you do is a good, you know, when you got a great car, you put yourself in position to take advantage of those situations. This week at Phoenix, he ran well without attrition. I think it's time for people to start taking notice. I mean, this, this, is, a, this is a guy who's really stepped up his game. I've been watching him outside the race car. He's really changed his approach, and he's very dedicated. And um, Travis... Yeah. And he's got Travis Mack. Travis Mack. I, you're about to hit it. Yep. T Mack. T Mack, I think the chemistry on it goes both ways. You got to have a crew chief there that's going to uh, take the ingredients he has to work with and make the best meal out of it possible. Absolutely. So <laughs> just um, a, lot, a lot of great things going on there. We had the uh, Kyle Bush winning 
uh, more races this weekend, and he's now at 199 wins. Incredible. And, you know, there's a lot of great conversation going back and forth about comparing it to Richards 200 or, or what does this mean and all that. So, you know, we can, we can all chime in on this, but I think that what Kyle has done is completely separate from Richard Petty and his 200 wins. They aren't the same. Uh, they aren't the same thing. So I think both should be celebrated. What Kyle has done, I mean, is incredible. Yeah, well, and no. what he—he's thirty-three. He's going to continue uh, to add to this win total and continue to do more incredible things. And I think it should be celebrated. It is not to me the same thing as what Richard did. Richard Petty did it at a different time, throughout a different whole, uh, you know, throughout several different decades, and it's cup wins only. So um, I don't look at the two as the same thing. What about you? If Kyle was out there saying that it's similar, then it would be a, worth a conversation. Kyle is not saying yeah. that. Kyle yep. is nev- not even part of that conversation. Right. So anybody that tr- wants to make that a debate is doing that on their own t- intuitions, yeah. and that's exactly. that's hogwash. Kyle out there is like, that's for you guys to discuss. He's out there racing. I yeah. can appreciate that from yep. him. And I think that what he said in his Victory Lane interview yesterday, I'm going for 100. Yeah, I'm going for 100 cup wins. If he were to get 100 that's cup crazy. wins – that would be insane because he races once a week. I mean, listen, i got to be honest with you. If you can really appreciate how Richard Petty got his 200, then you can appreciate how Kyle would have got 100, right? So, I, I, listen, hats off to the guy. I think that Truck Series, Infinity yeah. Series, Cup Series, the guy is amazing, I, amazing. I will say this. I th- you know, the, his immaturity and the mistakes that he made outside of the car – continue to haunt him today and I think that that is the reason why he doesn't get the credit that he deserves for what he's accomplishing in the sport but he's changed quite a bit over the last several years and he has matured um, and he's saying all the right things when you compare it to LeBron who comes out and says I'm the greatest I should be the greatest everyone should consider me the greatest and then Kyle Busch who you who you would think that's what Kyle Busch would say right that's what you would expect Kyle Busch to say he comes out and says well that's for everybody else to decide not me you know and when they talk said? what the first thing he said on that track interview is how last week made it he was still hung up on last week's race <laughs> you know that that like he just won number 199 losing last week and yeah. losing last week was still just st- stuck on him yeah that's some that is a competitor right you're there. right but I th- he's saying all the right things yeah he's like look that's for everybody else to decide to decide He's leaving it up to everyone else to debate. Um, that, to me, is a real sign of maturity, and I, and I appreciate it from Kyle. He's still a sore loser. Yeah, but You're he's never going to scrub he, that, He's though, a self-admitted sore loser. Is right? he? Yeah, he owns it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he owns yeah, it. he owns it. Yeah. I mean, listen, last <laughs> listen. Tim Duggar had a funny tweet about, like, it's hard to act tough when you're sipping your drink out of a straw. Yeah. And, 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 <laughs> and, 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 so, and so Kyle was sitting there giving his short answers, and he's like, <laughs> hey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, and yeah. it's like, and, and it's so funny. Tim was right. It's, it's, but now I've learned to not let that annoy me. I can appreciate all that comes with Kyle Bush. It's, character, it, it's real. It's real. He doesn't like losing. And it, it, if you needed a better example, he just won the race and he's still thinking about last week's loss. I, right? I like that. I like, I you like may, it. it may rub you the wrong way. Some people think he's a spoiled little brat when he does that. But the bottom line is he owns it. 
And and I've got more respect for the, him now, the way he's approaching this whole Richard Petty yeah. questions that are just brarding him all the time. It's like, all right, Richard Petty, 200. And the way he's handling it, i got even more respect for him. I have a lot of respect for him, too, but I, you never forget. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I thought y'all worked that out. We did, but you still. You don't forget. <laughs> you don't forget. Uh, I guess, uh, you know what it is, is I'm so scared that old Kyle is going to f- come back out one day. Well, at least it's not going to be at your expense. Well, I know, but you know, I don't <laughs> want that to happen. I'm not hoping that happens, but I'm just a little guarded. Okay. I think I have a right you do. Uh, to <laughs> you have, do. Have, you that, do. have be a little apprehensive. But yeah. I'm, I'm celebrating Kyle. Yeah. I'm celebrating his 200 when he wins it and whatever he does beyond that. Uh, we had the Suarez fight with McDowell. Oh, that got yes. a lot of publicity. That was pretty interesting. Qualifying round one. Didn't know it was going to get that heated. <laughs> I mean, right. I know it. In qualifying. Tune in to qualify next week. And, you never know. <laughs> and Suarez, so he he goes up there, and, and McDowell goes to get aggressive first, starts pushing and shoving, and Suarez uh, somehow took him down and uh, ended up, uh, quote, winning the fight. Did he? Because I didn't feel like he did. Oh, let's hear this, because I think everybody would yeah. would say that yeah. Suarez won I think the fight. Suarez did. De- okay, I mean, so you're definitely you're right. Before everybody else jumped in, he had a takedown. He had down. a takedown. Yeah, right. A lot right. of people had a problem with the. I don't uh, think he hurt him at all. No, he had a helmet on. I mean. Of course, he didn't hurt him, Mike. A lot of people. <laughs> well, that's how I determine who wins a fight. Oh, a guy's oh. got to get hurt. Got to be bleeding. Really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. Joey Logano won versus uh, Kyle Busch. Yeah. Right. Okay. So. Um, <laughs> That's nice to but know of course going he forward. Did, you're right. He had his helmet on. What are you going to do? Yeah. McDowell's, I wonder, was Suarez going to fight? He was going to get Was chirping. he going there to talk or was he going to fight? What was the he verdict He was going to chirp that? him, I think. What I've never heard him. Mean? What's a chirp mean? A chirp. It's, well, it's, first of all, it's a hockey term. Like, you're chirping somebody. Right. Your dog okay. has it's, Well, hockey's relevant here because those two guys went out to hockey's the Hockey's relevant the, Yeah, it is. Uh, McDowell and Suarez when I went think of to Phoenix, the hockey I think game. of ice. <laughs> I, hey, think of irony here. Those two guys went together as friends to the hockey game the night before. They did not. I did yes, not. They did. No, they, no, they didn't. They said they didn't. They said they didn't. They said, listen, they man, you got to know the whole did. story. So everybody, fake news. I know. Fake news. So McDowell, they get in the fight. McDowell says, "Man, what's? It's cool. It's cool. We're friends. We went to the hockey game last night." And they asked Suarez, and he goes, "I went with other people, and he showed up." <laughs> <laughs> All right. See, yeah. I never heard that far. That's awesome. All right. Well, so. So now you know relevant. the rest of the story. There you go. Our, the, uh, Twitter, our Twitter was blowing up. People said we did our tag team poll too soon. They, they picked Suarez <laughs> There now. you go. All right, Suarez, yeah. All right. Well, Suarez, Dad, he's got listen. a little, little fight in him. That's for sure. <laughs> he, gets out of, he gets out of all this mess and goes to the media, and the media talks to him about it, and he says that, you know, if you disrespect me, I'm coming to kick your ass. He made it pretty plain and simple to understand that this is how I'm going to react in these situations. Got to keep an eye on that going forward if he backs up those words. And they had a conversation with NASCAR in the hauler. Yeah. The conversation in NASCAR uh, in the hauler per Daniel Suarez was to make sure that those guys didn't intend to take it onto the racetrack. And uh, otherwise, I mean, NASCAR has to be, you know, real. Give those boys, a, give those boys a bonus. Right. Give a bonus. I mean, give us a fight. this is usually the stuff that doesn't happen till the chase, uh, till the playoffs come around. And right. Man, for it to start this early in the season, the intensity starting this soon, this early, it's great. For it's, us. It was a good, it's great for everybody watching. And a great tone setter for the weekend, right? I mean, like, is that happening on Friday? Heck yeah. <laughs> so that was that, great. So uh, we're going to talk about uh, UNC and Duke. I know we got some UNC fans in here. Matthew Dillner's wearing North Carolina hat. 
Are you a UNC guy? Yeah. I didn't know My that. cousin uh, was uh, All-American football program, so, so growing went, up as yep. a Yankee, I was a Tar Heel fan. All right, so Duke comes into the season. Everybody thinks it's going to dominate. They've had some injuries and things like that that have uh, made the season difficult for them, and North Carolina's beat them twice. Who would have thought? Yeah. Right? Kicked their butt in Cameron. That was awesome. Interesting thing is I happened to be in U, uh, UNC at the college in Chapel Hill this weekend. That's right. Um, I got invited to go speak. Uh, with Mickey, uh, my doctor, Mickey Collins, at uh, at Chapel Hill, and about concussions, about the book, and um, that was a lot of fun. And one of the things that Mickey told me, which I thought was really, really cool, and uh, I tweeted about this earlier. Uh, so when we wrote the book, I told uh, McGee, I said, "Man, you know, I just want the book to help people." Uh, I told McGee right up front in the first meeting that me and him had, and I didn't know if. You know, how many people it would help or whatever. I thought maybe Mickey might hear about the book once, twice a month from mm. people coming in to see him. Mickey sees about 25 patients a day. And so, yeah, Mickey see Mickey sees a lot of people. And this, I mean, Mickey doesn't see just athletes. He sees the everyman. He sees kids, the carpenter, plumber, the wow. housewife. Yeah. You know, if you fall at home or, or at work or whatever, Mickey can help you. And so he sees a lot of different people from all walks of life. But he told me before the night before we went to speak at UNC that he sees five to six patients a week that come in from the book. And that his, uh, his girls at the front office are, are keeping track of these individuals as they come in. Because they ask them, you know, how did you hear about us? How, are you, how did you get here? And five to six uh, patients a week. And so I let McGee know and everybody else through Twitter uh, that the book is, man, doing some great things. I'm so proud of that. Also, uh, so we had a great conversation and sharing our story with some folks at the, at, the, at the college. Also got to meet Mac Brown. I didn't anticipate that wasn't part of the, the, part of the plan. Uh, but Mac her, Brown's the head coach. Her, Mac head Brown is the head coach, coach yep. new head coach for the uh, Tar Heels on the football team. Hermie Sadler was there, and so Hermie lined up the meeting for Mac Brown. I have been a Tar Heel fan all my life. I also liked the Gamecocks, especially when Spurrier was there. I became a Gamecocks fan because of Spurrier, and uh, I followed Spurrier everywhere he went. But I've always been a Tar Heel fan, and particularly a fan of the football team. Mm. You know, uh, football is probably, I love football more probably than any other college sport and professional sport uh, outside of racing. And so I've always been a Tar Heel fan, uh, and they've struggled, particularly over, over the last couple of seasons. So the, the Mac Brown uh, story this year has got everybody excited, and um, me as well. So He's it, a legend. Yeah, it was great to meet him. He was incredibly nice, and I look forward to uh, seeing how their, their, their program goes going forward. I got questions, though. Yeah. Did, so did Mac Brown – or first of all, you're speaking – who are you speaking to? Like, who, who was in the audience – that you and Mickey are talking, and how many people are we talking about? We're, there were probably about two hundred people there, and so you went and and uh, Hermie was sitting say, there. Hermie was in the office. Yeah, Hermie's <laughs> daughter goes to uh, goes to school there, and she's a cheerleader, and so Hermie was there, and she was there listening, and it was a symposium, and I'm just speaking to very. There's all kinds of people in the room, yeah. various different ages, and so forth, and Mickey was there giving a, a speech before me to talk about his practice and 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 his his teachings and so forth and what he's learned over the last several years because the science for uh treating concussions is changing every day 
And uh, anyways, Hermie was there, and Hermie's like, hey, before you leave, you want to meet Matt Brown? And I'm like, yeah, of course. Mm. And so we were all right there. It was great. I got to look at the stadium. It's You know, um, Jeff Gluck does that quiet track photo after the race. Yeah, well, it's really uh, cool when you go to stadiums, and they're completely empty. Empty, yeah. And, you know, knowing, knowing the energy and the craziness that's going on during a game or prior to a game, and then seeing it completely empty is a real neat I don't know, neat experience. But uh, so that was fun for me. Um, so we had that going on and uh, got me pumped up for the Tar Heels this year. So so, so we, we are no longer a South Carolina fan. Is that, is that what you're saying? Because you said Spurrier. I know. You tagged your Carolina, South Carolina uh, uh, affinity to Spurrier. He's I have, been gone a long time. My person, well, I have a my per- I have a personal trait of loyalty, Mike, and mm, I is that what it is? Yeah, okay. I cannot stop pulling for them just because Spurrier left. Okay, really. And so do, I can. <laughs> do you like that new team he's coaching in the? Uh... I will not pull for that team. <laughs> <laughs> I'm uh, and no, no, not nothing against this he's new undefeated. Nothing against this new league and nothing against that team. Nothing against Steve, but I'm full. I got enough teams. <laughs> yeah. You're 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 maxed out. I'm max I'm I'm mac macked out. Yeah. Maxed out. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't just All right. Did. All right. Uh, so uh, you're what about UNC uh basketball? You you big Okay, on so that's the that's a totally the tournaments coming. So secretly Uh oh. I do pull for the basketball team, but openly I cannot cheer for them because me and my wife made a deal that Oh, she, that's right. Uh, she she'll be a Redskins, which I would I just assume not have made this deal now. But she'll <laughs> after, in hindsight, she'll be a Redskins fan if okay. I will be a, a Wildcat fan. Kentucky Wildcats. Kentucky Wildcats. Oh. She went to Kentucky as a, and cheered okay. cheered there for a year, and she said you you can't pull for no. uh, for the Tar Heels. You got to pull for the Wildcats. But and you I'm like, secretly pull. She's for like, it. I pull for the Redskins. I never liked the Redskins till we got married, and so or till we started dating. So it's sort of a trade that I've made with her, but that's you know, in my heart. Well, listen, she can. She's from Texas. She can secretly be a Cowboys fan if that's how this is. going I work could out. not even know it. She may be pulling for the Cowboys or the Texans, <laughs> and I might not even know that's happening. <laughs> yeah. So, Man, the, lot, all's fair. Lot going on in this marriage, by the way, that we're uncovering. Yeah. We got some secret pull. We're pulling for secret teams. No, listen, you you can uh, you you got to you got to stick with Kentucky in this case. Yeah. Um, keep your wife happy. So Russell. Westbrook, basketball player. Yeah, how about this? He wore a Kyle Busch jacket the other night to a game. Got everybody all stirred up. Got everybody <laughs> excited. Kyle Busch in particular got excited about it. And so it got me to think, you know, do, do these – and we see it all the time, right, Leah? Yeah, I mean, there was, I think, like three supermodels last summer alone. Like, Gigi hit it, like, like huge name supermodels all in NASCAR gear. Yeah. And even, like, last week, the Paris fashion show, there was a, a fashion editor in a Tony Stewart – t-shirt really That's what with like a with like a skirt she was wearing like a like high-end skirt and then like a tony stewart t-shirt so this is the, yeah um <laughs> justin bieber was wearing dad's shirt uh several months ago that's right yeah um, i remember this yeah it's it's uh and it's not no it's not new this has kind of been going on for a while uh seen a lot of nascar gear and hip-hop culture and, and yeah. hip-hop world over the last several years uh for pharrell wore Jeff Gordon's jacket way back in 2008. Um, Amy, my wife, she finds vintage NASCAR shirts on a lot of the sites that she frequents. Um, it, and sh- she thinks it's a passing trend. My mom says, uh, don't throw your shit away because trends come and go. Um, <laughs> but the real question, know. I think, is does the person that's wearing this uh, NASCAR gear, do they know? That's right. Do they care? 
Did, uh, is did, it just a cool item of clothing? Did Russell Westbrook know he was wearing a Kyle Busch jacket is the question. Exactly. I don't a rapper think they know. And, yeah. I don't think they know. I think it's all it about color, color and yeah. yeah. And so it's it's I, don't, I don't know if a rapper is a Terry Labonte fan, but I've seen plenty of uh, people in hip-hop culture wearing like the Kellogg's Corn Flakes yeah. you know, jacket, and it's yep. like, yeah, I don't know if they're a t- Texas Terry fan. So every team on the racetrack has a bold color scheme that differenti- differentiate mm-hmm. themselves from the other team's Multiple logos, they they and and all this stuff on clothing, it feels uh, genuine and authentic and fresh, and it kind of reminds me of starter jackets. Like starter, oh. if you, oh, yeah. you know, if you, if somebody were to say here, here's a starter jacket without any logos on it, you probably wouldn't wear it, right? Nope. The bright colors and so forth just doesn't, doesn't work for you. But if it's your favorite team, then you're really proud of it, right? And you're wearing it, right? Heck yeah. It's kind of and, and starter jackets were that way. You would see people wearing starter jackets that didn't even like that particular team. The Raiders, yeah. the Just San because Jose of the Sharks, colors, Chicago yes. Bulls. The colors, Chicago Bulls. The colors and the logos yeah. are, are so real and in your face. They were so big too, the starter jackets, man. I, be- I begged big, yeah. for one. Begged for one, dude. And my parents they, they tried so hard, but they got me one of those real satin, kind of yeah. shiny starter jackets, and I got picked on in school. What? It wasn't the cool one. Wasn't the real one, yeah. Well, so that's the thing. Yeah, when I was uh when I was in high school, I wasn't extremely popular. A very, very small group of friends, but when I wore that red skin starter jacket, I felt like I jumped the rung uh, several rungs on the ladder <laughs> immediately just because of the jacket alone. Starter jackets were hot. Yeah. yeah. So you had a Redskins one. I did. And, and what, I was loyal. What was yours, Matthew? New York Islanders. He was Hockey loyal. Islanders. What was yours, loyal. Mike? Alabama. Mike, you had an Alabama? Had an, yeah. You had absolutely. one? Absolutely. Uh, I had one. I wish I had did, that did back. I, I would have loved to. She doesn't even. Do you know what a starter jacket is? Yeah, I know yeah, what it do. is, yeah. but no. The Charlotte was Hornets. Uh, that was a popular. That was a popular. One. I have uh, Charlotte Hornets are celebrating their thirtieth, I think, their thirtieth yes. year this yes. year this season, and I uh, they sent me a starter jacket. Yeah. What's you up? Know is it like what? a retro looking starter yes. jacket? So oh yeah. Cool. Okay. It's old school. Uh, but anyways, you know, going back to the colors, the bold colors on the cars, and the and the big logos everywhere. Logos everywhere too. The more logos, the better, I think. In 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 fashion, as and that's far a funny as the NASCAR, thing, that's the last thing I would wear is things yeah. with crazy logos all over it. But it works, I guess. I, I guess. Yeah, I guess we can't answer that question of whether they know or they care about the driver or, or whether they just like the item of clothing. For some reason, though, I feel like obviously a lot of them. Bieber has to know who Dale Earnhardt is, but does he wear it because of Dale Earnhardt or because it's a, got a cool big giant three that he likes on it? I think Wes, Russell Westbrook likely knows who Kyle Busch is, and it can't be coincidence that Kyle's creeping up on this 200 win milestone and in the news quite a bit, and Russell Westbrook, who, is, who, he, you know, who he has to assume is one of the best players in the league, is sporting his jacket. I don't think that's a coincidence. I think that Russell knows who Kyle Busch is, and in a way – is sort of giving him a nod uh, to his greatness, um, but otherwise, I think you know the to- you know when you see it in fashion, when you see it on models, when you see it in hip hop, I'm I'm not so sure that they know or Listen, care. Here's right? A, here, right. Here's the question: Is that you know where we used to see it a lot was with the old Bud stuff? I yeah. mean, you see oh, yeah. uh, people wearing old Bud stuff, and uh, I always assumed they knew whose jacket they were wearing or yeah. whose shirt it was, and I mean, but but you also had a powerful sports brand in Budweiser, right? right. That was on that thing, and it also looked pretty sharp. Right? I guess every time I see a NASCAR shirt on a celebrity or in fashion, I gotta know. Do they know who that is? <laughs> I gotta know. It drives me it's crazy. Interesting. Yeah. yeah, I yeah. guess that's that's my curiosity. 
Answer it for us, sale advertisers. Somebody, yeah. somebody tell us. Yeah. Somebody tell us. <laughs> somebody, uh, just dial up Westbrook. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm going to yeah. tell you who will know. It just occurred to me. Who? Marty Smith. Yeah, Marty yeah. Smith. <laughs> Marty Smith would be able to ask Russell Br- Westbrook yeah. because he just did a bit with him. He just did a thing for Marty Smith's show. Yeah. And so, Marty yeah, Smith like, will find um, out for us if Russell Westbrook knew whose jacket he was wearing. Didn't, uh... They did ask him, by the way. Yeah. And he said, they said, uh, who's your favorite driver? And he said, Eminem. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> so there you go. All right. <laughs> okay. Eminem can't wheel. I think, um, I think he was talking about the, yeah, the no. sponsored. Yeah. Can All we right. talk about that giant 88 sculpture yes. in that oh, yeah. penthouse in New York? Yeah. That was insane to me. I like, didn't know what to t- think about. That, was, that is exactly sort of in the same conversation with this, you know, NASCAR yeah. gear on celebrities and in fashion. This big giant, uh, you remember the 88 uh, steel, big giant 88s that uh, NBC had made at the end of the year and had all these little, all right, so I got that in my woods. I put, I've got it from NBC and put it out in the race car graveyard. Well, another identical copy of these two giant metal 88s showed up on a website that was selling a, uh, you know, promoting the sale of a uh, multi-million dollar apartment in new york city and apparently whoever has this apartment had these two giant 88s <laughs> placed so up crazy. there it's very are. strange um th- and it got me to thinking is that is, is that only in there because they think it looks cool or do they know who i am or who is this do they are they, they gotta a, know who you are are they a nascar yeah. fan or not and it's the same thing like anytime i guess it's the yeah, yeah, can... it's the humility or the you know you just don't think that your re- you know your reach is that far that nascar's reach is that far that the other driver's reach is that far. And it makes you wonder, when you see it outside of that NASCAR bubble, is it real? And so, yeah, may, and I was joking around and, and said, man, this must be Jimmy. Is Jimmy selling his apartment? <laughs> Jimmy says no. Maybe it's Jeff Gordon's apartment. Maybe. Nope. I don't know whose Jeff apartment it is. Jeff had a funny reply yeah, to that. He did. Jeff said, well, you know, it was very meaningful that time I got to drive the 88. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> he said 2017, but he was wrong. 2016. That's right. Um, must not have been as meaningful as he said. Hey, we're all getting up the, uh, older in years. Uh, yeah. those, these years run together. Anyways, whoever's selling this apartment, let us know. Do you yeah. like NASCAR? Are you were, were you a Dale Jr. fan? Alex Bowman fan? Uh, a, Jeff <laughs> Gordon, a Jeff Gordon fan? Or is this just cool art? They could be a Regan Smith fan even for that one practice oh, yeah, at Charlotte. Right. <laughs> Forgot about that. I spent Saturday watching some grassroots short track racing. The Cars Tour kicked off their season at Southern National Speedway. JR Motorsports drivers Adam Lemke and Josh Berry were on hand. Adam Lemke had a crash in practice, did not get to finish the race with his car. But uh, Josh Berry, with the all-things automotive uh, junior motorsports Chevrolet, led just about the whole race, was passed on the last lap and lost, finished mm. second. It was a great race. So they, we, we, I wanted to say that because they kicked off their season. We're very proud of what they do. I watched Carson race as well after that, um, running her little sprint car. She took she, a flight. Yeah. She did. <laughs> she ran great. She, she led her heat and got on the berm and spun herself out. And then she was in the C main and was leading that or running in third maybe and spun herself out. Either way. I think she will hop. She somebody. made a couple mistakes. Uh, and then she ended up getting in the back, and Will hopped a guy and flipped. She got out of her car and stormed off, which got some unfavorable reactions on Twitter uh, to her uh, storming away. And, and uh, she's got to work on that a little bit. It's just embarrassing. You know, when you make those kind of mistakes when you're that young, uh, it's super, super embarrassing. I told her next time to get out and take a bow. 
Um, <laughs> <laughs> were you were you able to watch that live, or did you just? Yeah, I was watching it live. So uh, when she stormed off, I mean, what were you thinking? I was just disappointed. I mean, I, I she's embarrassed and she is ashamed that she was leading. She made two mistakes and then that mistake to flip. So she's done. She keeps screwing up and she knows it and she feels terrible about it. And she's embarrassed and doesn't. And that was her reaction. So I told her to work on that reaction going forward. Don't don't feed the trolls and give people ammo ammunition. I told her too. I said if that was your car, if you owned that car, built that car, you would stay with it. You would be you would be sure to make sure that it was removed from the track in the best possible way and followed that car back to the uh, to the trailer. Mm. And uh, the boats were out there who owned the car, Billy and his son and. When the car's sitting there and they're trying to remove from the track, they're there because it's their car and they want to make sure that it gets taken care of and back to the garage and try to repair whatever they can. And I told her that um, try to establish that relationship with the with the car. Yep. Try to get to where that car and you are best friends and that whenever something happens to it, you're right there wanting to know how to fix it and what it needs. Therefore, you won't have that reaction of, I got to get away from here. I got to get out of here. I'm embarrassed, ashamed. I need to leave where I'm at. And so... So that that was tough to watch, but uh, you know she's she's gonna figure it out. You're gonna make mistakes. I told her the only way to you know she's can, she can be great. She can get to where she wants to go, and the only way to get there is to keep trying and keep learning from making these type of mistakes. And, Everybody's uh, had those races yeah. where you're ashamed. Ashamed. Yeah, she, I remember you've had them. And, oh and, yeah. And, and I and 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 you want to crawl in a hole, no doubt about it. You want to crawl in a hole and don't come out and. Uh, but you know she's going to be better off now. Yeah, she's going to be better off out of it by this. Yeah, we had a lot of conversation about it, and I'm, I'm, uh, and she's receptive. You know, yeah. she's listening, which is great. So, and I, and I'm, I bring, I guess we talk about that so much is because I expect her career to be fun to cover, and we're going to cover it here. Hey, by the way, you know, I saw Billy Boats tweet to Carson afterwards. He Carson did put a tweet out that really just took full ownership of everything that happened. And uh, Billy Boat, who I don't know, put put out a response to that and was so supportive of Carson. And it made me just think how awesome of a guy he is. I yeah. mean, like, if there's an owner in the garage you want to drive for, it's somebody like that. He's a racer. He was so good. He gets I, yeah. And yeah. I told I told uh, Carson, I said, if you're looking the haters' way, you'll miss things like this. And I sent her that tweet. I know she saw Billy's tweet, same time I did. But I wanted a reminder, like, if you're, if you're paying attention to the bad things people are saying about these things, you're going to miss all the good stuff that people are saying, too. Because if you look at her timeline, it's 98% supportive. Yeah. You know, but yeah. she's going to see those couple bad comments and dwell on that, um, which is easy to do. But she'll figure it out. It's like the people that say our table's too big. 98% think our table's fine. <laughs> I was just thinking about that when you said that. But there's 2%. That. I don't know if this will make sense. Yeah, like the people, <laughs> I don't know if this will make sense, but the people that like the table aren't saying anything. Yeah, so right. come on, Only table thing, likers. Right. Well, Help no, us out yeah. here. And yeah. So the majority of the people that aren't saying anything don't have a problem with the table. That's right. So now we got to overcompensate with a giant uh, uh, car. <laughs> yeah. That is not what we're doing. This is, one of my, <laughs> this is one of my favorite pieces. I brought this from my own home, and uh, it's a Junior Motorsports Corvette uh, Stingray, and I've had this in my house for 10 years. And so I brought it out here. Did you people, park it in your garage? People are talking about our big table, so <laughs> people are talking. Okay, that, that, that right there was, I'm sorry, that was good. This has been sitting above, on a shelf above my sim rig on where I've raced online uh, for years. And 
I figured, hey, we got a big table, we're going to get a big dock cast, all right? <laughs> big dock cast. Here we go. Hey, we're going to We're just going to back it on in here and park it right here on the table. Forget yeah, about it. I want to put Ken and Barbie in there. I think they'd look good. They all, whoa, whoa. No. <laughs> there was never a no, Dale no. Jr. Uh, Ken and Barbie uh, made of all oh, the things, great. crazy things that were made of you back in the day, yes. in the Bud days. Thank God there They did that. make Barbies uh, with you know racing theme Barbies. And yeah. we I remember were, that. Right? We I had NASCAR Barbie. You did? Right. We were. We were on the packaging, but we had nothing else to do with the contents of the of the box, which is weird. I've signed a few of them. Really? Yeah. Oh wow. We were on the packaging, I think, but the pa- there was we were we had nothing to do with the contents. I, I I've never even heard we're of. We're looking this. it up. Yeah, we, we should. We, we should who, be. Who are you talking about? You sh- and who? Dad. Really? Oh, yeah. Right. So what you got? Uh, oh, you're looking this up. Yeah. yeah. It's, oh it's, shoot. Uh, yeah. There's uh there's your cars on, on it. Yeah, cars on it. Yeah. But the, with the contents of the box, there's really nothing tying that together, right? Barbie's got that. Uh, Barbie? I mean, this is where those fashion designers got it from. This is. This they looks looked exactly at... like what they're wearing. But is she wearing Dale Jr. stuff she or just ha- racing stuff? She has on a tank top that says, I heart eight. And oh, then, okay. And yeah. then, like, her little dress is has, like, the NASCAR so there. Like, the flag. Oh, Which and there's like an eight on that, too. Yeah. So All right. Yeah. There you go, Mike. Man, I didn't have that one. Barbie that cool is one. a trendsetter. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah. She looks good. How about that? All right, uh, this is the last leg of NASCAR Goes West, and a lot of people that I know are road tripping, race teams and stuff between. No road trip is complete without some damn good tunes, and I know you're a music guy, Junior. Uh, I figured I'd go around the horn here. We'd start a Spotify playlist. Leah's going to start it up. Uh, uh, Let's talk about some good road tripping songs for this uh, little uh, journey. All right, Dale, you go first. (laughs) I got to go first. Man, well... You know, I don't have a list of songs. I did not bring you a list of songs. I have two two things, two ways I can approach this. I stream music and I create a, a station that's going to throw things at me uh-huh. uh, and just surprise me, hopefully, with something new. I'm going to hear some stuff that I like, but also going to hear something new. Uh, I can do that either two ways with with Spotify or Pandora. And uh, so that's how I like to travel down the road. I'll put on whatever genre or whatever band. They're kind of the the they're kind of the originator of the uh, the station, and then it goes from there and creates it itself and plays whatever it wants to play. And I like that. I like not knowing what's next, being being uh, being surprised at times. Well, that's it. I'm I'm embarrassed to admit there was a road trip that the biggest road trip that I ever took that I can remember, was to go pick up T.J. Majors. I knew it. All right? Yep. T.J. Majors lived in Buffalo. He wanted to come down here to either become a race car driver. I don't think he was knew he was going to be a spotter at this time, but he wanted to get into the industry, and I said, well, the only way to do that is to be here, move here. We had a, another friend that was going to allow him to move in and be a roommate, so we went to pick T.J. up in Buffalo. We had a dually and drove all the way there, on two-lane roads. So we started on the interstate at 85, and right around Salisbury, an hour into the drive, I said, man, this, this is not fun. We're not seeing, no, we're not seeing the country. So <laughs> we've got a compass. We know we need to go north. <laughs> you needed a compass. <laughs> Let's get off the interstate and take two-lane roads strictly all the way to Buffalo. Adventure. All right. We ended up in Washington, D.C., going around the Beltway. We went to the Capitol. We went to the Pentagon. This is all around 3 o'clock in the morning. Uh, we went to the Eternal Flame at the 
battleground uh, battlefields of Gettysburg in Pennsylvania. That's cool. In the middle of the night. The only thing is so dark. We're driving down the road. We didn't even know we were there at the battlefields of, of uh, Gettysburg. But we're driving down the road, and we keep seeing these little weird objects on the side of the road just kind of faintly in the headlight of the truck. We slowed down, and it was cannons. Oh, no way. And we're like, hey, where are we? There's, <laughs> the There's cannons on the side of the road. <laughs> so clearly, clearly they also had a mission to not look at signs uh, on the way to Buffalo. <laughs> we're just using the compass yeah, going it. north. And so TJ would call, and we'd say, he'd say, where are you? And we'd, we'd start re- reading names of the streets and stuff that we're seeing. He's like, you guys are so lost. Y'all are never going to get here. And it took us 22 hours <laughs> to drive to Buffalo. <laughs> Which right? is about like six hours too long. Probably. 22 hours. All right. So this is it's me and two other buddies. We're drinking Mountain Dews and Slim Jims. Oh, God. Oh all the way there. All right. You didn't need a playlist. We had one thing that we had to do every hour. Every hour we, we would play... Only time by Enya. <laughs> Why? <laughs> what? Yeah. Why? As re- that's we just had to make the trip as ridiculous as possible. <laughs> I mean, just driving through the, uh, you know, driving through the two lane countryside of United States. Enya was pretty North- hot by the. But like she was. Uh, I mean, she from North Carolina to Buffalo. Only hour we played. Only time by Enya. <laughs> and otherwise, I drove the first eighteen hours. Lord. And uh, finally, I tapped out. I said, I cannot drive anymore. Somebody else has got to drive. But whoever was riding played CDs <laughs> out of a big, big, big sack of uh, CDs. And uh, it was a lot of fun. We ended up getting there finally. Uh, and TJ was so angry that we had not taken a straight, direct route. Um, and w- so this is the funny thing about TJ. And this sets the tone for TJ for the rest of his life. This is him in a nutshell. He complained on the f- cell phone all the way there about how we weren't taking a direct route and getting there as fast as possible. The plan was to hitch up a trailer to our dually that would be in his yard. He had a trailer that he raced his little go-kart out of. It was supposed to be full of his stuff, and he was supposed to be ready to go. Mm-hmm. When we get to the house, the trailer is empty. His room is literally in the same shape that it's been since he's lived there. He has not packed one item. Oh, jeez. I said, TJ... You're supposed to be ready. We gave you six extra hours for this. Right, we've literally been driving 22 hours to come get you, and you're not even packed. Oh, man. That, that is TJ. That is. In a nutshell. Yeah. And so, anyways, we had to help him load all this stuff onto this trailer. We hitched up the dually, and we did take the interstate home. That's listening, listening to so, Enya. So, yeah, so, so listening is, to so, Enya. So is Enya. Is that your song? <laughs> that, yeah, I think yeah, that, I think that, is that what, the moral of the story is Enya is uh, number one on his, uh, on his road I mean, trip that songs. Is, that is the embarrassing admission is That's that fine. Enya, only time. Is the only road <laughs> trip song that I can give to you today. Well, at least Mike could easily top that. Yeah. Wow. I mean, it doesn't take much. The road, the road trip home did have an overnight stop in Ohio, which is not what? east of Buffalo. Yeah, where the hell did you get wow. over to Ohio? We weren't. Us again? We didn't pay attention. We just drove <laughs> oh south. gosh. So we ended up in Ohio, and once we realized that we were going quite a ways out of the way, we ended up spending the night in a hotel. We went to a bar. <laughs> All right, we go to this bar. And in the uh, middle of hanging out in this bar, these two brothers got into a fight with each other, and we basically had the whole bar 50% on one side, 50% on the other side, and there was a big giant fight, and the cops came. And we ended up becoming friends with the police who gave us a ride home to the hotel. We ended up racing luggage carts in the aisle of the (laughs) hotel uh, lobby with the police officers pushing. 
Oh and uh, this was a great, great trip. We'll have to get TJ on to tell it one time. Yeah. He'll be here in a few minutes. You know, we are <laughs> we are back in Ohio right now. Yeah, because we wandered off our compass. Right. Yeah. So, oh my gosh. and we, we ended up spending the night going home the next day. It was a great trip. And that's how TJ ended up moving to North Carolina. Oh, TJ. So okay, what well, you got? So I Mike, want, I want road trip songs. Road trip see songs. See if you can top right, it. So see like, if you can in you. <laughs> The closest I could do is ABBA. <laughs> oh, are you serious? I, I could possibly put ABBA in there, but I don't think that's the best of the road trip oh. songs. All right, so my top three, first and foremost, number one, Sweet Home Alabama. Yes. Oh, we knew you would yes. say that. Well, it's, it's a good, it's, it's road, good trip it song, it's okay? good road trip song. It is. Okay. I think you got to have uh, Born to Run. Yeah. Bruce okay. Springsteen on it. Um, and I think you got to have, this is very cliche road trip song, but I think that that's what you're calling for. And I'm, even if it wasn't, this, this sort of creeps up in the playlist. Willie. Willie. Yeah, I knew it. It's got to be Willie, it's doesn't got, it? It's, it's a good one to have on It's there. a good yeah. one. Now, I've got others. I couldn't just keep it to three, but I, that's the three I'm going with. Since he's going with Inya, I'm definitely going to uh, put some, um, you know, some masculinity to our playlist here and, uh, and, and, and give you those three. Uh, Leah, are you going to subtract from the masculinity I for mean, us? yeah, because I do have a karaoke. See, for me, like, road trips are all about, like, what you can sing along to. Well, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so I have to pick, like, those songs that I can just belt out in my car, usually with just my best friend listening. Um, so my number one is Garth Brooks' Speech of Cheyenne. Um, well, now Garth Brooks, I can agree with. I don't know. If Beaches of Cheyenne is the <sighs> best road trip song. Oh my gosh, it's a great, great song. I mean, yeah, okay. I mean, Thunder Rolls. I mean, you got all these other. <sighs> yeah, you know, but the rodeo. The story. Like I like the story. Like okay. I got like songs that are stories. So that's that's that. That's um, a depressing story. I know. You like to cry on your road trips. <laughs> she gets emotional on her road yeah. trips. Yeah. Okay. It, that's kind of the thing. Um, my Carrie Underwood one is uh, Choctaw County Affair, which wasn't really a single. and Not very many people know that, but she literally says the word cattywampus in it, and that's one of my favorite you're, words. You're hooked. Yeah, so she got me there. And then my third one <laughs> is Nellie, Shake Your Tail Feather. Oh, Shake yeah. Your Tail Feather. Right. Nellie in here? That's yeah. not a bad idea. I yeah. like that. All right, road trip and songs. There you go. Well, everybody can uh, write at Dirty Mo Media on Twitter and let us know <laughs> if you have. We just assume Dillner sucks, so we just got to skip oh, yeah, over Dillner's here. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought <laughs> <laughs> Saving it till last. I thought you talked. I'll I'm go sorry. real quick. I'll go real quick. Uh, I'll go with uh, Mamas and the Papas, California. What's that? <laughs> I don't know. Somebody dropped something. Keep going. <laughs> I'll go real quick with Mamas and the Papas, uh, California Dreaming, because I think that's awesome. Uh, roll on. Highway uh, by Alabama. Oh, that is a good one. That is an awesome one. It's about one. an 18-wheeler. And uh, come of on, course. man. Golden Earring, Radar Love. What? Golden Earring. Yeah. The band, it's a one-hit wonder, I, but Radar Love is a badass road right. trip song. All right. All right. I'll take your word for it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll take your word for it. You went out there. So we're going to put this on Spotify, right? Yes. I feel like that uh, Dillner went pretty. To Ohio, basically. No, Dillner. no, no, no. I think Dillner's, <laughs> Dillner's would be very similar to a lot of people's. Yeah. Yeah. Um, right. No one had Inya. All right. <laughs> no, no. All right. All right. That was great. Road tripping songs. All right. Let us know at Dirty Mo Media on Twitter what your road tripping songs are. Talk a little crap about ours if you like. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get to the white flag. Keep coming, bud. White flag, bud. White flag right there. White flag. We'll do white flag. By the way, if I'm the one that comes up with Enya, then they'll talk crap. But because of Dale Jr. being oh, in no, he'll, no, no, he'll, no. he'll be like, oh, that's great road trip song. I'm going to totally get some crap for that one. All right. Listen, 
I, uh, y'all wanted to hear this big bang that like, we had a crash just about a few seconds ago. Here's why. Because we have a new addition for this wonderful studio, and that is from our friends at Pristine Auction. Pristine Auctions really hooked us up. Now, a few weeks ago, we talked about an item, and it was a tombstone memorabilia. See how I just nailed that? Uh, tombstone memorabilia. It's a howitzer. <laughs> I almost messed it up. Let me just get it, because I already not kicked it over once. Check this out, Dale. The unboxing from Mike Davis. There it is. Oh, Check man. Check this out. All right, I, point it, that. Where it, it, yeah, you're pointing that. You're pointing, you're pointing that, that at me. I'm going to open the action. Point, <laughs> I'm opening the action because this is safety. It is a replica. It's not a real gun. But check this out. Look at the autograph. And look at the authenticity. Check it out. It's signed by two people, Val Kilmer and Doc Holliday. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, the same person. It's, it's uh, the same person. This thing's heavy. Like, I know, right? Yeah. Look at that. Isn't that cool? Where do you? We're gonna put this in here. Listen, I want to yeah. thank. Listen, I want to thank Jared at Pristine Auction because this was a. Uh, right here, I mean, you gonna get mad at me for pointing it at you? <laughs> God, I like. <laughs> this is awesome. All I right. really appreciate them. And by the way, Pristine Auction just became even more dear to our hearts, even though they are a longtime sponsor. When when we when we get that, there's more of these, by the way, on there. Not uh, just yeah, so it's cool. not just sports. It's, they got a little bit of everything, which is really really cool. Um, so thank you, Jared. And uh, let's see here. Wendell Jr.'s ride is out of the gate strong. Really, after one week, th- there was a lot of yeah. tickets sold. Yes. Uh, Everybody must nice. love this edition. This car is different. It's blue. It, there's a lot more to it. It's not only blue. It's Admiral Blue Metallic Corvette Z06 with a 2LZ package and a 6.2-liter oh, supercharged V8 direct injection engine plus a Billy Boat C7 fusion exhaust with a bimodal design <laughs> and carbon fiber tips coupled to a 7-speed manual trans- transmission. That's the challenge now from now on. It's the one breath challenge. I'm going to uh, pr- propose that. If like you the micro machine If guy. you can do that. <laughs> yeah, that was a, I like those. Uh, so you can go to WendellJuniorsRide.com to do a $25 raffle. Dale, back me up on this. This is one of our biggest fundraising initiatives of the year. So listen, it's not only that there's this cool car that you can win, but like this is it. for This, this is a big one for us. So your $25 Raffle ticket purchase goes a long way for the Dale Jr. Foundation. So keep that in mind, too. Um, I want to thank everyone who took uh, time last week to rate and review our show. It really matters to us. We read them all. We uh, appreciate that. We love the honest feedback. We get a lot of it, especially about our table. And uh, we, 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 take it to, uh, we take it to heart. So thank you. And if you did not rate and review us, please do. Uh, we'd appreciate that. Follow all of Dirty Mo Media on social media. It's everywhere. Leah does a fantastic job. Um, and speaking of, I want to just say real quick, Dustin Lee's in the room and Micah Caldwell, my Dirty Mo Media team, really grateful for you guys. The JRM 360 last week. That was great. It was incredible, was it not? Yeah, everybody needs to go to Junior Motorsports at Twitter and check out the latest 360. Really entertaining. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that was well done and we're going to do again, uh, do, do another one sort of like that. But that's it for me. What are you going to close us with? Well, I got some more odd history. We're going to... Uh, Montana this weekend, but this odd history isn't about the West Coast Swing. This odd history is about Rockingham. We were talking about Rockingham here recently. <laughs> All right. On March 12, 1972, Jimmy Vandiver. Jim Vandiver was a race car driver, kind of an independent, but he actually had some great runs, really competitive runs, particularly on the speedways. Uh, but he finished third in a cup race at Rockingham using a pit crew made of entirely volunteers. Now, mm. you think that's not that crazy because people get volunteer help all the time, but I think it's pretty this, crazy. Uh, this volunteer crew was from the infield. 
He assembled <laughs> he assembled the crew two hours before the race. None of them had even been on a pit crew before. They were hammered. He didn't know nobody's names or nothing. That's awesome. How embarrassing that was that crazy. if he won? Like, hey, thanks, uh, yeah, you guy. This uh, call you number one, call you number two. It'd have been like uh, Reservoir Dogs. We'd be like, you're Mr. Green, you're Mr. Pink. Jim Van Dyke. He had a pretty cool race car, man. And uh, actually, one of his cars is over at Ray Evernham's place. He's got an old Jim Van Diver Dodge. But that's odd history. And remember to uh, to watch us on Tuesdays at 5 p.m. on NBCSN every week. Uh, they'll cut all this down to an hour and have a show there. And uh, we'll have Steve on and a, gr- a lot of great video and photos and so forth to accommodate the podcast. And it's really fun to watch that. I watch, I listen to the podcast, then I watch the TV show. It's not really even like the same show. It's not. It's You're not. Right. It's a lot of fun. Appreciate everybody for listening. It's been a great week. Uh, look forward to Fontana. It's going to be an awesome race watching those guys run all over that racetrack this weekend. Hopefully our Xfinity guys are ready and they do well. We'll see you later. This bit of badassery was made by Dirty Mo Media. Dirty Mo.